What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 70th draft of the Untitled Movie Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside my BFCA buddy, Eric Marchin. Hey, Matt. How are you? I'm doing all right, man. Um, okay, everybody. Off the top of the show, I just kind of want to... Um, as you guys might have noticed, we've, we haven't put out a new episode in the last, you know, I think almost four weeks, Eric, I think it's been, I think it was like mid to, uh, mid to late May was the 69th draft, especially, um, you know, an episode that was kind of goofy in nature talking about, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, I just wanted to kind of talk about, um, you know, not only what's going on right now, but what has been going on, um, you know, for basically the history of time. And I want to talk about uh, Black Lives Matter. So um, Eric and I decided we talked, I mean, you've probably seen us um, uh, talk on on Twitter and, and sharing different things, but um, we didn't want to put out an episode over the last, you know, few weeks because um, we kind of wanted, you know, the proper voices to be heard and we didn't want to take up space for something that we felt, you know, I love doing this podcast, but it is, you know, uh, pretty frivolous talking about, you know, the entertainment industry and what's going on right now when um, such an important, uh, important movement is happening. Um, And I just felt like, you know, putting out an episode wasn't right. And I felt like the time that people could be spending, you know, listening to Eric and I, um, you know, talk for two hours, um, could probably be used um, to both amplify um, uh, black voices right now and kind of educate, use that time to educate yourself on on the history of Black Lives Matter and the history of this movement and the history of uh, the systemic racism that's been happening in the in the U.S. and Canada and and around the world for forever, pretty much. So, um, I just wanted to say that off the top and and. And I kind of wanted to talk about this with you, Eric, and 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 kind of you know go over how I'm feeling. And and even though I, I what I want to say to people is that I know that the news cycles kind of slowed down, um, and it's not being covered as much. Um, protests are still happening and should continue to happen. Um, but I just want to say, like in this time, if you have the means, um, take some time, educate yourself, donate sign petitions. Um, make sure you keep paying attention to this because yes, our podcast is back. Um, yes, um, movies are coming out. Um, yes, the news cycles kind of, you know, sort of moved on because maybe the, the riots have stopped and different things like that. Um, but if you're still on social media constantly, I'm sure you're seeing that the, like, it, it's not stopping and it, it can't stop. Um, and I just, I even in over this whole thing, um, a, a statement really stood out to me that like, I felt like I needed to, you know, do some soul searching and just like think about um, where someone wrote, it's, you've seen it probably online a lot, um, that it's not enough to be not racist and we really need to be anti-racist. And, um, you know, as a cis white male, I, I, I think throughout my entire life, I'd be like, well, I'm, I'm not racist. Like, I know I'm not racist. Um, so I, I always, maybe I subconsciously was like, that's enough. I'm not racist. Don't tell me like, I, I don't participate in any of this. So like, I'm doing my part by not being racist. Um, but that statement and after I, tr- um, you know, and I'm ashamed to say that like, yes, I, I, I'm educating myself more now and it, and it took something horrible, like the death of George Floyd, um, by a police officer and it, it, that's captured on video, um, for me to really go, like and read that statement and for me to go fuck i'm not doing enough 
Um, and I am like kind of ashamed of that. And I think a lot of people are in the same boat. Um, but I also feel like it's never too late to, you know, change and, and, and put in the effort and, and make sure you are being an ally during these times. And I just wanted to give a shout out, um, something that I'm doing. Um, I found a really great resource by, um, two great women named, uh, Brianna Wallace and Autumn Gupta. Um, they put together, which is way more generous than they even needed to be, but they put a, together a Google doc called, um, justice in June, um, which is essentially kind of like a, um, an education plan for people based on um, how much time you can dedicate to being more informed. Um, so if they have plans for if you have 10 minutes a day, 25 minutes a day, 45 minutes a day, um, and it's meant to be a, a, a great starting point on if you're feeling lost and, and how you can um, help educate yourself more um, about everything. Um, so I, I'm going to put that link in the description for this. Um, I would love to retweet that tweet, um, maybe right as we're putting this, this episode out. And I've just found that it's a great resource for me. I mean, there's tons of resources out there and people have been, you know, posting on Instagram stories, posting on Twitter. And I, I urge you right now, like pause this podcast, like Eric and I will be here. We're going to record for, you know, probably an hour and a half, two hours right now. But uh, I, and I appreciate that you're all here, um, ready to listen to us. Um, but I urge you like pause us and, and check out this link that I'm going to drop in the description. I, I find that like, it's, it's so, so generous that these, um, that, uh, Brianna and Autumn put together this plan and that they definitely did not need to do. And I urge you just see what you can do and start today, pause this podcast, do the 10 minute one, do the 25 minute one, do the 45 minute one, um, sign some petitions. It takes literally like change.org. There's so many going around. You can sign up for an account and it's almost in two clicks. You can sign these different uh, petitions. Um, if you have the means, um, find your local Black Lives Matter um, charity and, and donate or, or any charity that uh, that is helping people um, um, right now. Um, just do what, what you can. And I just urge you, I wanted to take this moment off the top. And Eric, we can either have more of a conversation or you can say your thoughts. But um, And just urge people that like Eric and I paused because we wanted time to, you know, let the voices be heard. We wanted to keep educating ourselves and we just felt like we didn't want to take up space. Um, right now, even as we're putting out a new episode, I still am urging you, pause it, please. If you're listening, pause it and do one of those things. Do all of those things. Um, we'll be back. I know everyone wants to kind of decompress and get their minds off of you know the news cycle and, and everything, but this is an important cause. Um, and I just feel like uh, we. I'm begging you just, if you can, start there. Um, and keep amplifying black voices um, and make it consistent in your life. Try to diversify your Twitter feed. Try to diversify the movies that you're watching. Um, we're going to talk about a great initiative from the Cineplex store a little bit later in the show, but they have uh, free movies um, right now from black creators and, and filmmakers and, uh, and things like that. Absolutely free. You can rent them right now. Um, they'll stay in your, your library on the Cineplex store for 30 days. Uh, and you can rent every single one of them. Um, especially listening to a film podcast. And I know everyone's got their own way of, um, of doing the thing. Maybe you're not on social media, like uh, sharing things all the time and, and things like that. Um, try to amplify people, but maybe that's not your thing. Maybe you quietly just go wa want to educate yourself. Maybe you like to read and there's tons of great books that you can read. Um, there's articles in this plan that are, uh, 
that you can break up for 10, 25 minutes a day. Um, and then if you're listening to this, you probably watch movies. And I really do believe movies are a valuable resource to, you know, educate yourself about things that are happening, you know, uh, right now and things that have been happening over history. And um, there are a lot of great films on that list. And there are even smarter people than I that have put together great resources. And I'll, I will make sure that Eric and I on the in the description put this Justice in June um, Google Doc in there, but I also want to share some more resources that you know friends of mine have been sharing and putting together, and and smarter people than me have been um, sharing. So um, I just wanted to take a second and and say that off of the top. And um, if you're still listening and haven't paused, uh, I'll let Eric talk, and then after we kind of finish this segment, um, I would love if you guys just uh, shut us off and just try one of these things, and then start there. You got to start somewhere. I hope you've already been doing that so far, um, but if you haven't, uh, that's what I'm urging you to do right now. And um, I know I can be a better ally, and I need to be better as well. Um, and that statement really stuck out to me because, um, you know, as a as a white man, sometimes you uh, you can, as long as you think you're a good person, you just kind of uh, can brush off things. Sometimes, at least that's how I feel, um, and or how I'm thinking about th- my history or my past and things like that. And um, I don't think that's good enough. And I need to be better. Um, and I've definitely um, it, all of this has been. It shouldn't be a wake up call because this is happening constantly. Um, but I think it has been a wake up call for a lot of people. Um, and that's a shame, but I mean, again, change needs to start somewhere and I applaud everyone who's protesting right now. And I think we need to keep doing this. Um, and I know we're in the middle of a pandemic right now as well, um, which makes all of this even more difficult and you might not be comfortable, you know, going out in large groups and things like that. So that's why things like this really help, uh, donate, sign petitions, educate yourself, educate, 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 and then uh, try to be a good ally. So um, I just wanted to say that off the top. And Eric, feel free if you have any thoughts to um, to jump in. That is um, that is really, really well said. And, and, and I, you know, echo those thoughts and opinions. And again, you know, we, we live in a 24-hour news cycle. And obviously, with the death of George Floyd, this has caused uh, a monumental moment in history, um, you know, in, in that people are protesting not only, you know, in North America, but internationally, this um, is exposing, you know, systematic racism and the institutions that sort of abide by it, uh, specifically um, police and um, government institutions. Now, I have to be completely transparent, and I want to be transparent. Um, my family, my since my great grandfather, have all been police, and this has been a time um, of, of thinking. But I've always thought about certain white privilege that I have, and am still thinking about it in terms of what I have able to achieve or gotten away with or been able to do in my life compared to others and never have to worry about things and, and, and have lived a, a very uh, privileged life and, and thinking of those things. And at the same time, I have turned a blind eye or have maybe not said something that I should have said, whether it be to, you know, a grandparent that said something that is 
inappropriate when it comes to terminology or, um, you know, a, a friend that might have a different uh, political ideology and point of view. And I haven't been strong enough and, 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 and more uh, sort of, or less cowardly. And, and I regret those things. And again, I think that when you come from a family that is in law enforcement, it's one of those things where you have to really look at it and say like, okay, well, just because we're quote unquote police doesn't mean that we should unanimously decide and say that what the police do is the right thing. And mm-hmm. for police officers, the the good ones to come up and say that they do not, you know, agree with what's going on is a good thing. But at the same time, those officers, those policemen and women in uniform need to do more than that as well. I agree. Um, yeah. And have to, you know, look at it and dismantle the system. Because the, the thing that always comes up when, when I'm talking to people about this, uh, about police corruption, about police brutality, is that, you know, there's always a couple of bad apples. That's mm-hmm. the terminology, the saying that's always used. It's it's a shame that, you know, there's a couple of bad apples. That ruin it that for ruin everyone. ruin it for everybody else. But the problem isn't a couple of bad apples. It's the tree itself. The tree yeah. is rotten. And the it's a couple of good apples that get through that is the miracle compared to, you know, how the system works. And it, I think when it comes down to it, and again, this is coming from a guy who is in a police family, but I think you need to dismantle the system and the way that people are taught to police because, you know, like it's even joked about, I know you watched a movie um, a, a couple weeks ago, uh, the assistant where you, yeah. know, you got to see sort of behind the scenes of a studio producer and sort of sexual harassment in the office place. There's a scene in that movie where a couple of the characters are joking about not sitting on a couch because it's been soiled and what might be on it, this stain or, or might be, might have human uh, remnants on there. And it's something that's known by everybody there, but they're laughing about it. And it's the same thing in, you know, police divisions and departments where it's like, this isn't anything new, you know, racism within uh, police culture and sort of, again, institutions of power isn't anything new. This has been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. And unfortunately it's, it's still going on. I mean, obviously like, you know, it it came to a bit of a head in the nineties with the Rodney King uh, tape as well. And those officers were acquitted of, uh, any uh, wrongdoing, which was uh, baffling uh, e- even then in having that footage caught on tape. But I, I honestly think that it's one of those situations where you need to keep educating yourself. You need to check your privilege at the door and you need yeah. to listen to people and, 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 and be there for them when they, when they need you. And, you know, men and women of color and, and, and specifically, you know, black men and women deserve um, 
you know, our respect and gratitude and solidarity in this time and also trans men and women as well. And, and I feel that we are at a point now where we can't stay silent and it's important that we are better allies. And again, that's not going to be something that changes overnight. It's something that has to be continually uh, pursued and we have to want to be a better person and do those things. You have to do them and not just say it, you know? I totally agree. Um, yeah. And, and, and again, I, I know I'm rambling a little bit, but it's one of those things where it feels like, you know, a lot of people have been saying that 2020 has been kind of a, a write off. And, and I have as well in terms of the pandemic and staying inside, but with what is going on now, I think that it has, the potential to become an important part of history and that we can actually change things if we put an effort out. And that means that we have to support those in need. We have to make sure that we're doing something because if we're not, we're just as much a part of the problem than the solution. And the solution isn't easy to, to fix because you just can't, it's so it difficult. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's so many, so many years of, of, you know, it, it built in that it's going to take a lot of hard work to, you know, break it down, like you said. And I, I totally agree with you. And that's why I think we, we can't really stop and, and this needs to keep going. And, and we do really need to dismantle not only just the police system, but just uh, a, a lot of different systems in society. And uh, I, I really hope this does bring change. And um, I know, Again, like there have been moments in history, and I think each moment has brought a, a, a little bit of change, but um, we haven't, you know, uh, f- it's going to be hard to fix everything, like you just said. And um, I think that's why we just need to keep at it. And um, I wanted to take these opening moments to, to talk about this. And ag- again, before we move on right now, right this moment, I, I urge you, um, please pause this. Um, sign a few petitions, just do a little bit of searching on, on Twitter or uh, Instagram. Um, if you have the means, uh, donate. You can go to blacklivesmatter.ca or blacklivesmatter.com. There's also a, a ton of different funds that you can – there's even certain uh, uh, places you can donate, which will spread your donation to a whole bunch of different organizations that need it, um, as well as um, I urge you if you have those few moments um, – few it's really 10 25 or 45 minutes a day and there's a, a, a and it's just a starting point but there's a ton of great resources in there and they lay it out on monday you should read this section and this section tuesday go over here and do this on saturday and sunday watch ava duvernay's 13th on netflix like it has it all laid out for you it's like the easiest thing so um right now pause this please do some of that and then continue to do it on a, a daily weekly monthly basis um um for the rest for for the rest of time Uh, it's um and uh and yeah please i urge you and um black lives matter yeah uh okay eric let's do a show um i know it's hard to kind of you know continue um, but again i hope yeah. yeah i hope that you know now that you've gone and done that stuff and hopefully continue to do it um we can bring you a little bit of a um a distraction for a, a little bit um before you get back to work um 
As you guys know, uh, this is the Untitled Movie Podcast. Usually each week, Eric and I get together, um, talk about you know what's going on in the entertainment industry, what's going on in our lives, things like that. Um, if you like this, um, you guys, uh, we also do another podcast called Untitled Movie Reviews, which you guys can check out. Um, they're usually you know shorter episodes, under you know under twenty minutes, under half an hour. They sometimes go much longer, um, a little bit more professionally, where we re- uh, review new release uh, films, whether they're in theaters which none are right now on streaming services or maybe on demand um but uh, a special thing that we have up right now something that i'm very very excited about is um i recorded a review for the last of us part two um which you might be thinking hey matt that is not a film that is a video game um but much like eric and i when we jump in and review something like the last dance or or the mandalorian or uh, Watchmen or something like that um I wanted to kind of jump in and try something different on the channel because you guys, if you listen to this show, you probably heard me a lot uh, talk about not only The Last of Us, the first game from 2013, um, but probably just video, my love for video games in general and how I feel like it's another storytelling medium that I feel like um, cinephiles and, and film and television fans maybe, you know, don't completely um dive into so i wanted to review the last of us part two um sony canada sony playstation canada was generous generous enough to provide me uh with a game to review uh so that comes out on the reviews up right now so please go check it out it's an hour of me literally uh, eric is there but he's kind of just uh he was kind enough to listen and and kind of chime in here and there but it's literally like after that review eric i didn't say to you but like i was so my voice was like hoarse and like i needed to chug a bunch of water because i basically just talked for an hour and 20 minutes <laughs> i oh, did an yeah. a, i did an hour good. I, an hour and 20 minute speech on the last of us part two so um go check that out the game is incredible um i really poured my heart into that uh it's the most preparation i've done for one of these reviews in a long time because it's 26 Don't hours tell away. people yeah. come on um so I, I i would really appreciate if you guys check that out if you're interested in games and even if you're not Maybe I'll convince you um, to both play the first Last of Us as well as this part two. Um, you guys can also check out our review for The King of Staten Island, um, which is now available to stream on a premium, whatever they're ha- calling it, cinema at home, $20 rental thing. Uh, but our review's up right now. I think that's the exact um, name. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can also check out our review for Spike Lee's The Five Bloods, which is streaming on Netflix, as well as our review for Disney Plus's uh, Artemis Fowl, um, which I urge you just listen to our review. Don't watch the movie. Um, and then coming soon on that channel, we'll have reviews up for, um, irresistible, the, uh, John Stewart, um, political satire movie. <laughs> uh, so check that out in a few weeks. Uh, it's hard to describe that movie, but that'll be coming out in the next couple weeks, as well as our review for you should have left, which is, um, the, uh, Blumhouse, Kevin Bacon, Amanda Seyfried horror film, um, and then we haven't, Eric, we haven't really talked about if we're going to review something like the Joseph Gordon-Levitt 7,500 <laughs> movie on Amazon prime. I, I actually so. think we should also maybe even review, uh, the Dave Batista my spy, uh, movie because yeah. it's coming to Amazon prime in the U S and it's already okay. available here in Canada, Canada. So why not? And then yeah. maybe even if we're lucky, we got a special, uh, maybe if we get a screener for, uh, uh, money plane, 
Oh God, yes. Oh, I gotta add that trailer. That thank you for reminding me. I gotta put that in there. Oh my God, guys, you have to go watch this trailer. We'll talk about it on um, uh, on uh, talking trailers or uh, trailer talk, whatever the hell we call it. Um, so yes, uh, go over to Untitled Movie Reviews where we have all of those uh, reviews up. Tons of it was a big week actually, Eric, for for new releases. We talked about this a little bit on our, you know, I think on one of the other reviews, or maybe we were just talking about it off um, off recording. But um, I feel like we're starting to ramp up. I guess summer's getting rolling, but even the VOD releases are coming um, fast and furiously. But except. There's no Fast and Furious. Yeah, yeah, except that. There's a game coming out that looks terrible. It's called Fast and Furious Crossroads. Uh, Maybe I should review it. (laughs) (laughs) But also we should we should say, I mean, I don't I don't know if we want to reveal it yet because maybe we should have it as a surprise. But, um, you know, talking about sort of taking uh, a a different path with uh, some of our reviews going off the beaten trail, we might have a review of another form of medium or another uh, sort of something special coming soon uh, that I think people will uh, enjoy a conversation about. I agree. I mean, and I think you'll just see us kind of experimenting with different things over. um, It's been, what, three months now since. Uh, 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 Excuse me. Do it in the voice of uh, the bare naked ladies. Yeah, it's Graham. Graham. Three months since I quarantined, and I. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. So we're trying to get creative because I know there's been weird gaps in um, our schedule. Whether it's um, obviously we took some time off, like we addressed at the top of the show. Um, I think for the right reasons. Um, but then for reviews, it's been kind of scatterbrained. Where you know you won't get anything. I mean, you've been pretty consistent over on Rogers, Eric, and I applaud you um, for finding movies to. Review. I'm the VOD um, master. Yeah, and we've been doing a lot of VOD stuff here, but um, with Last of Us, I think it's a tease of we're going to try and dip our toe into other mediums that um, make sense for the channel. They're still going to have a cinematic quality, and I don't, I don't want to say what that is yet, Eric, because I don't. They haven't sent me any like embargo information. I don't think there is because I've seen reviews out for it already, um, or at least pull quotes on on the thing that we're talking about, but maybe we should just be careful. Cause I don't want to. Yeah. Know, yeah. Yeah. Tread lightly. But, and and uh, there is a, until we get like, we actually get more information on it. Yeah. And then go but it is really cool. It's an exciting thing that we'll be doing. And, um, uh, it's not a movie and it's not a video game. So we'll, we'll and it does make sense, uh, coming from a movie podcast, uh, to review it. So yeah, that's very exciting. I, I checked my mail. Um, it's a series of gifts. Yeah, no, I checked my mail on Friday. Cause I was like, oh, maybe it, you know, it got here and I didn't realize or something like that. It's not here yet, but, um, it'll probably I, be this week or, yeah. or early the following week but yeah it's something that i think both matt and i um will have a lot of fun discussing and yeah like to to what you said like it doesn't necessarily have to be a movie that that we're reviewing i mean as long as it even sort of connects to what we talk about in 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 general on this show i mean as you've already mentioned you know you've talked about the last of us throughout uh the last 70 episodes so you know to have on our old podcast i think exactly so to have a review for that makes perfect sense like it's not something that's just like you know oh i want to review uh you know uh, a mario party game on on nintendo switch like which is fine i mean if you want to do that as well that's great (laughs) but like it it makes sense thematically to the podcast that we would do a reviewer or put aside time to talk about something like that. 
Yeah, no, and I think we'll do more of that in the future. Things that interest Eric and I that still kind of make sense for this. Um, I think, uh, and we're going to experiment with different formats and things like that. So, I mean, the last of us review, um, to go a little bit behind the scenes on that was a little interesting because I was struggling internally of how to do that because Eric uh, doesn't play, you know, games really he'll you'll play jackbox with us or um but you haven't played a console video game you said since you know n64 and playstation 2 or 1 or playstation um, 2 yeah and um so that was interesting i was going to you know do an eric uh rogers tv style review where um it's written and recorded from kind of a script um but I had, I, I'm a free form kind of, I'm a, I like to free ball it, you know? So I just, uh, I, I just, I just kind of like you to go to let in. those balls dangle yeah. in the air and, and let I, them fly free. I like, I liked what I did with last of us cause I had my points written out and I kind of just went off the cuff and remembered what I wanted to talk about based on those points. Um, but we will be experimenting with, you know, different styles and, and, and different things like that, but I've gotten good feedback on the last of us things. So, I mean, I liked having, it was just comforting having you there, Eric, because like me recording, you know, in this microphone by myself and, and you're very good at it. Um, your years of television experience and things like that. Um, uh, I still probably need to get better at that. I'm much better at conversational style, um, dialogue. So even though I talked for the majority of it, it was nice to just have you there kind of nodding or like listening and like, right. You know, chiming in here and there. Um, and I felt like, uh, I thought it went pretty well and I, I, I liked how that turned out. So, um, yeah. And, and, and listening to it again afterwards, I mean, your passion and excitement, uh, for it comes through and I'm sure it would have the same way if you had written something that's a little bit more, you know, condensed and under two to three minutes, like I do every week, but then there's limitations to that. Like I find that those reviews, like people say like, okay, well, you know, if you write a review that's two to three minutes long and recorded and, you know, edit and what have you that's probably easier than doing you know a, a long form review or, or something that's a little bit free-flowing on the contrary i think the shorter yeah. reviews the condensed ones or even are when they're written harder. in capsule reviews are harder because most of it is taken up by plot and you barely get to scratch the surface on kind of the more idiosyncratic things you want to talk about and you also when you're working in television you know the 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 thing that uh uh, Johnson Lai, my editor, and I talk about is that you have to play to the vid, the video that you have. So you're writing a review based on the EPK trailer kit that you have because you want to be kind of coordinated with the trailer and the clips and the stills that you have. And depending on how much you have, you know, to make it kind of work together. So you're basically like assembling a mini version of the movie that you're reviewing, but breaking it down and putting it back together in your own way. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a difficult thing to do um, overall, but yeah. And even talking to your, you know, on camera or recording by yourself and doing that for an hour, an hour and a half can be, can be a challenge as well, because it, it feels like, it's it's awkward and uncomfortable because you don't really have any interaction with another person. Sorry, Erica. Nevis is just getting home, so I was just uh, making sure she's all right. Um, 
yeah, I know. I find writing the capsule reviews or shorter things like I'm, I have experience doing that from my writing days. I haven't written a lot other than the stuff I've written for Cineplex and things like that. But um, I, uh, the capsule reviews during TIFF are always so hard getting them, you know, what was it, under 400 words and things like that. Um, so it was, uh, yeah, that's what I was struggling with, with the last of us is like, and I had so much to talk about that. I just couldn't condense it very much. And, uh, so I just kind of needed to kind of go free flowing and, and, uh, and go through it, but I thought it turned out uh, pretty well. So you went um, commando and it worked, um, getting into, uh, what you've been watching. What have you been watching? Well, I have been watching a lot, uh, since we have been, uh on hiatus but let me check my write up here um so we have a review of the five bloods uh which you can go and listen to right now uh excellent movie it's available on netflix and um i've been kind of going through a a, a spike lee uh phase uh, uh since then um i rewatched malcolm x 25th hour and do the right thing. And I believe actually Matt also uh, watched do the right thing for the first time. Did you watch do the right thing for the first time? Uh, yeah, it was for the first time. Yeah. So what did you think? I thought it was fantastic. Um, I really, really thought it was great. Um, I, um, again, you, uh, during our, um, um, uh, defy bloods review. I kind of said this too. I just like Spike Lee is a guy that I, I need to watch, you know, his entire filmography because every time I pop one in, I, I end up, even if it's not perfect, uh, I really like that he injects himself and his style into each one of these movies. And you saw it very early in his career with this as well. And I feel like they're great kind of hangout movies, but they always have something kind of to say as well, which I really like. And uh, I mean, the movie is mostly a, a hangout movie and it addresses some of those issues throughout. And then at the end, it kind of picks up and, and gives you a bit of more of the, you know, social commentary and stuff like that. And again, he's not a subtle filmmaker by any means, like we talked about in our review, but I kind of like that about him. I like that he's brazen and in your face. And, and I, while, uh, you know, you can see some of that in the early days of his career. Um, and I noticed that and do the right thing. And I just thought everyone in that movie um, was fantastic. Like Spike Lee is great. Uh, Sam Jackson's fantastic. Um, um, I love Giancarlo Esposito. Um, and like, I just, uh, I had a, a fantastic time watching that movie. Yeah. Visually as well. Uh, it's so stylistic. Um, cinematographer Ernest Dickerson, who would go on to have a, a really wonderful directing so career as a, as a horror filmmaker. Yeah. That's the thing. The heat of it. Like you get that. Like it feels like that film is just emanating off the screen. Like it feels alive and, and, and it's so vivid and real and emotional and raw at times but then also it has those stylish flourishes that we know so well that spike lee has sort of adopted throughout his entire career he's kind of you know been on you know brand or on mark since you know school days and she's gotta have it so you know seeing those kind of spike lee trademarks even in you know his third feature is uh incredible to watch and and yeah the as as the day mounts that you know as a slice of life 24 hours kind of story it's a great hangout film as you mentioned and then one kind of it erupts into you know the the final act of of social injustice and what yeah. happens to radio rahim uh bill nunn's character it's obviously very impactful a, like yeah and, 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 and the conversation today too right 
Yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, that's the one thing that's kind of tragic about the movie is that it hasn't really dated. The only thing that's, I guess, dated about it is just the, you know, the the music and uh, the aesthetic. You know, being people wearing uh, late eighties uh, clothing, and that's the only way that you can tell that it is from the nineteen eighties. You know, but even fashion then, and, like, and fashion hair, and stuff like that. The, it's cyclical. It's cyclical. Yeah. Like I can see people walking around now wearing, you know, stuff like that. That's, you know, bright colors and things like that. But um, yeah, like that, the last scene in that movie where, you know, Mookie makes the decision to throw the can into Sal's pizzeria, you know, like that's the thing that's always been debated, even in something that we, like we saw uh, South side with you remember the Michelle Obama uh, day in the life uh, documentary or, or, or pardon yeah. me, a biopic where uh, Michelle Obama, it goes on a date with, with Barack and they go to see do the right thing. And then people outside after watching the movie, have a conversation about that scene. Um, mm. The criterion Blu-ray for, for the film is, is incredible. So yeah, I wanted I to pick highly- that up. But I, uh, it is also available on that Cine- Cineplex free um, free films as well. Yeah, so I would highly recommend checking that out if you haven't seen it, and if you have, uh, maybe revisit it again. It's uh, it's his it's his masterpiece in in my opinion, and yeah, like everybody in that film is so good. And like the thing, like the the joke was in like the nineties, the late eighties, early nineties, when when Lee was becoming kind of a bigger name, is that like. Spike Lee was quote unquote racist to white people. And I never really understood that. Like there's even a joke in family guy that it's like, you know, uh, white people's dialogue in, in a Spike Lee, uh, movie is nothing. And like, you just see like a, a, a like a Sal kind of stand in growling, uh, at Mookie, uh, in, in one of the scenes. And that couldn't be farther from the truth. Like the way that, uh, Danny Aiello's characters handled in, in that movie, um, is very complex and very fascinating to watch. And, and yeah, again, I think that it's one of those movies that unfortunately is still as timely as it was when it came out 31 years ago, which is, is sad. And I still can't believe that that film was not nominated for best picture and driving miss Daisy one. (laughs) I mean, that kind of tracks, doesn't it? I know. Well, it happened again with black Klansman and and, green book. book, Right. Same thing all over again. Yeah. 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 Um, What else? Well, as I was mentioning, I've been on a bit of a Spike Lee kick, so I rewatched yeah. uh, Malcolm X, which it's a long movie; like, it's three and a half hours long, Is it? and it basically oh, wow. yeah, and it's basically Spike Lee doing his uh, David Lean biopic. He even talked about sort of having it on the same uh, scale as as Lawrence of Arabia. Denzel Washington is amazing in in that film, and we always talk about like we're looking for movies when it comes to the biopic that does something that's a little bit uh, unconventional or feels like it's a little bit more lived in, and this film covers the greatest hits of Malcolm X. I mean, it's a three and a half hour movie, but at the same time, it feels like it gets into the nitty gritty of it and explores the finite details of what made Malcolm X, Malcolm X. And it's so rich in detail and history and, and actual sort of movie references and Lee's own kind of style again, permeating throughout um, so I would highly recommend that. And then 25th hour is one of those, again, another hangout movie, 
you know, kind of builds to the big moment where uh, Edward Norton's character, he plays a drug dealer who's about to go away for seven years and is spending the last 24 hours with friends and family um, as he kind of contemplates what his life will be or what he's going to do in those 24 hours. And this was like, again, like the time where I thought like Edward Norton was the greatest actor (laughs) ever. He is amazing in 25th hour. Like this is one of his best performances. Um, It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a strange film because it's again, like a lot of Spike Lee movies, it's very aggressive. Um, And it was released just after 9-11. And there's a scene where uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman and Barry Pepper's characters are talking um, right next to where the Twin Towers were. And it's at ground zero and you see the construction or, or, you know, the, the, the remnants of what's left um, when they were, when they were shooting. So like those kind of things, when, when the film was released, cause it was, I think it was 2002, 2003, when the film actually came out theatrically um, kind of turned people off because it was kind of, you know, still a very sore subject to to kind of get into, but um, it's an amazing film. And um, it's interesting as well that David Benioff, uh, oh, wrote, wrote it, the yeah. script based on his novel as well. So, right. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I think it's a, it's it's a great movie. So, yeah, yeah, I do definitely want to go back and 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 visit a lot of uh, Lee's stuff because I'm more familiar with his recent stuff rather than his you know earlier. Not saying that even 2002 is that early, but um, um, there's definitely a well, giant a list of, it- of stuff. Yeah, and a lot of it now is starting to finally get um, proper Blu-ray releases as well on physical media because there was a time where Do the Right Thing and like you know more of his recent stuff were on Blu-ray, but Jungle Fever, Crooklyn, Summer of Sam, Mo Better Blues have all been released recently by Kino Lorber. Um, I'm hoping there's rumors that uh, his documentary Four Little Girls will be released on uh, Criterion at some point. Bamboozled was just recently released on Criterion. So um, it's getting more exposed. His work is getting more exposure. And like even something like Chirac, I think is actually a pretty solid little genre film. Yeah, I remember enjoying Chirac a lot. I saw it at Lightbox, and um, uh, I remember enjoying it. But I, I don't. I, I it's another one that I want to go back and revisit. But um, yeah, for sure, I'm I'm in the same boat that I should um jump in and and watch a lot of his stuff. Um, you also watched uh the Vast of Night. I sure did, and uh, this is currently playing on uh, Amazon Prime. Amazon uh, it's original. An original. Yes, uh, it was. It played at TIFF. It w- I believe it was the last movie that you saw at the uh, at the festival as well. This I is, believe uh, so. Yeah, yeah. Andrew uh, Patterson's directorial debut, and I can understand why someone like Steven Soderbergh would be interested in sort of uh, promoting a movie like this. So you have this 1950s setting in, um, I believe that it's it's a fictional town. It's yeah, a small town. Uh, Small town. I cannot remember the name off the top of my head, but it's a, it's it a great name. Look it up as I'm talking about. It's like Yayuga or Ayuga. Oh, right. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. And and so anyways, it's an investigative kind of piece about um, this sound that kind of- Cayuga, New Mexico. 
Cayuga, New Mexico. So there is no such thing as a Cayuga, New Mexico, but apparently there is a Cayuga, California, like a small district. Um, But anyways, this unidentified sound comes through uh, the radio and all the electronics as a basketball game is going on. And most of the town is there and you have kind of a a journalist who wants to leave this small town and a switchboard operator who are kind of investigating what's going on. And the framing device is kind of the Twilight Zone Outer Limits kind of program. Um, That is the one thing that I didn't really care for that it's constant throughout yeah um they like almost they going into it. commercial breaks and then coming back into it <laughs> yeah and i i didn't mind it as a bookend kind of thing where it, it starts and be it begins and ends with you know this paradox theater intro and i thought that was kind of clever but when it keeps kind of going in and out of kind of the you know the the old tv tube it kind of feels like it is taking you out of the movie completely and and like you said like i i know there's a reason for it because yeah they're trying to do like the commercial break or it's like it's reminding you that that you're you're watching them in a movie um but I think that is the one distracting thing. I think the performances are really well done. Um, I think it's creepy at times. It's eerie at times. I think the cinematography uh, and camera work is amazing. Like that yeah. one take in the basketball the yeah, gymnasium. Right. Holy, like I don't, this, is, yeah. this, is, this is a guy that a- Andrew Patterson, I am so intrigued to see what he is going to do next and like who is going to kind of work with him. Because if this guy made this movie with nothing. Yeah. Imagine what he can do with actual, with like, like just yeah. even $5. Like he should be, you know, the studio should be looking at him now and saying like, okay, we'll give you five or $10 million to go and make something that's a little bit bigger, but still, you know, something that you have control over. Yeah. Um, if Amazon so, was smart, they would do that uh, next. And maybe they, this he, do we know what he's doing next or no? No, no, I, I, I'm sure he's probably signed like a first look deal or something, but, um, this is definitely worth, uh, checking out and it's short too. Like that's the other minutes, thing I was surprised yeah. with how quick it, it was well paced, but it, it, it goes by in a blink of an eye. And again, like, I think it's creepy and funny and I just kind of like the banter between everybody as well. Like that fast paced kind of dialogue of the 1950s um, yeah. is, is kind of fun. Um, yeah. I keep thinking I, mean, I kind of regret not Phoenix seeing that Hogan. in theaters. Yeah. Like that, nice. yeah. That basketball scene is, is, is amazing. Yeah. It is very, very impressive. And he constantly does that throughout. Like it's, it's not all one take, but there are a couple significantly huge long takes that are very, very impressive. And I, uh, yeah, I it's, dug it, man. It's, it's, a, it's a cool little movie. It's very showy, but I didn't mind that because I think it works for the film. Yeah, I agree. Totally agree. Uh, moving over to me, we mentioned Do the Right Thing. Um, really, really loved it. Um, I'll talk about where you guys can kind of rent all those movies for free. Um, uh, like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, when we get into uh, Stan at Home, um, I watched Christopher Nolan's uh, Following um the criterion um of it uh hadn't watched it in whew, it's been a minute um i think it's a it's a good little like almost kind of student film uh I, I i i dug it i mean you can tell like 
He's another guy who, even in her his earliest stuff, you've seen the same kind of you know things that obviously he obsesses with with time and and uh, nonlinear storytelling and just uh, and playing with your expectations based on what he shows you at any given time and and just a, a dude that's just been obsessed with with messing with time more than anything and um uh i think following um shows kind of those building blocks that he's consistently kind of utilized throughout his career and um um i dug it it's a it it's not a great movie by any means but um i think it's a it's a good you know first film from a, a great filmmaker do you do you like following eric it's okay. I, I think that like you kind of nailed it with saying that it's a, it's a student film and you can kind of appreciate the ambition that's there and see certain qualities that would continue in his filmography. But I also think, you know, it's, it's very modest and, and I can understand, you know, when we look back at it and be kind of in retrospect, say like, Oh, like, yeah, you can, you can really uh, tell that this, this was going to be a great filmmaker. But the person who saw the potential in him was again Steven Soderbergh. Oh yeah, Soderbergh was the go. guy that, after seeing Following and Memento, um, said to Warner Brothers, "You need to work with this guy. Like, you need to put like because they they were looking for somebody for the remake of Insomnia, and they yeah. weren't sure about Christopher Nolan because they wanted Soderbergh, and Soderbergh's like, I don't, I'm." too busy i've got some other stuff to do he's working he was working on the ocean movies at that point and he was just like how about this christopher nolan guy and they were kind of like well we don't know his stuff is too weird and what have you and 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 so soderbergh's just like no no you gotta give him a chance and then as soon as he makes this movie they they've just worked with him constantly yeah they'll do whatever yeah and i mean i remember clint eastwood and christopher nolan are the two warner brothers guys like they just they are the warner constantly (laughs) yeah um yeah i um i'm gonna make my way through his entire filmography leading up to or maybe we'll have news on that later in the show too leading up to whenever tenet ends up coming out um and I, I, we, we saw Dark Knight at the Cinesphere recently. I saw Interstellar at the uh, Cinesphere recently. But I, I, I will try to make my way through. I haven't seen Memento in in a while, and I remember I, I love Memento, and I remember even as a kid, like that was the first. I don't know. It was one of those movies that I just remember adults talking about when we were younger of being like, yo, have you seen this memento movie? It's fucking crazy. It's like backwards and like, or like, I I don't know. That just always stuck in my head as memento being the backwards movie. And from other people talking about it when we were younger. Um, And I mean, I've seen memento multiple times now and I, and I love it, but um, it's been a little while since I've watched it. So I'm excited to kind of go back and even insomnia, which I haven't seen in ages either. Um, which I remember liking, but Memento is one of those movies that I have like this kind of nostalgia for as, as, as you mentioned, like, you know, it felt like a mature watch and, and I still like the movie a lot, but there's something about it where like, I, and maybe this is more Christopher Nolan than anything else that there is this kind of attachment that a certain group of people online 
yeah. have, especially Batman fans, have put on him that kind of makes him almost a little bit repulsive. Not yeah. him himself or the filmmaking, but just like this air that he is the greatest filmmaker and everything that he does. Yeah, is I agree with that. Wholly original because, like, I look at something like Memento, and yeah, when you're you know uh, somebody first getting into film and 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 are excited for it, and you're like, oh man, I've like this has never been done before. You know, having a narrative told from the end to the beginning like this is revolutionary and it's like yeah it hadn't been done for a while but within like the same couple of years you had um you know irreversible that was released which was also you know chronicled from the end to the beginning and telling that story now obviously not a lot of people are going to go and watch you know a very disturbing and, and hard to stomach french film but then you go back to 1982, uh, and even though the version of it never got released theatrically, people did see it when they were doing test screenings and complained about it, where there was a film called Mike's Murder. And the original cut of that film was a guy, this kind of like guy living in Hollywood and kind of, you know, basically smoozing off of of uh, affluent young women's uh inheritance um is murdered and the original cut of that film was told from the end to the beginning and it was from the alan ladd company that also released blade runner and when the film started playing for test screening audiences the the one thing everybody complained about was that the film played from or started from the end and worked its way back to the beginning and people didn't understand it yeah so i mean i so think things that's like that with memento too but i totally agree with you i mean that's why i tweeted out that photo of chris nolan with the imax camera on his shoulder because i just thought it was like such a it was such a an image where i'm like he's it's almost like being it's sort of phony in the sense like i love nolan don't get me wrong like i i think i think he is a great filmmaker and i think his, he makes incredibly incredibly entertaining you know uh blockbusters and um but that photo of him like posing with the imax camera i just thought was really really funny um out of yeah, and it's okay to be critical of him yeah. like you can you can discuss things about his work that that don't work and you can be, you know, you can talk about his films and, and, and say like, okay, well they're not perfect. No, they're not. Um, I his love him as well. As women uh, of women in all of his movies. Yeah. Horrible. And sex in general. Yeah. I mean, his movies are pretty much sexless. Yeah, they are sexless. So we'll see how that uh, unfolds in Tenet. But um, yeah, I know not a, I think he's an entertaining filmmaker and I, I don't get me wrong in college when dark Knight was coming out and he had that string of, uh, string of bangers um and then everyone has you know been obsessed i mean i'm super pumped for tenant but we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show uh back on my bullshit uh re-watching all the mcu movies again i don't know if i talked about it on the last episode i might have said that we started with iron man um and things like that so nevis um and i are re-watching all of the mcu movies um, a lot of the movies uh, Nevis is watching for the first time, which is is a really cool experience because she's seen a lot of the later Marvel movies. But um, I think she kind of had a gap at, uh, at the early days of the MCU. So I've had a fun experience kind of watching it through a different lens with her. And um, and I do, you know, a rewatch every year, every other year. Um, just they're my comfort food, you know, junk food movies. I just uh, throwing them on is just very comforting for me. But um, this time is different because I feel like I'm putting my phone down. I'm, I'm, 
sitting there and I'm focused on them and watching them kind of with a critical eye with, with Nevis. And it, it's fun to kind of get her reaction. And, and I've gotten her to rank um, them as we go, which I did last year and I've been doing again. And I just kind of wanted to share. So where we got, we're up to age of Ultron. So we just finished uh, guardians of the galaxy. Um, and our next one is age of Ultron. So I kind of wanted to share Nevis's ranking and, um, and cause I think it's kind of fun cause number one might surprise you, Eric, it might surprise you. Um, so here's the incredible Nevis's, Hulk. Uh, here's Nevis's, uh, uh, I'm smirking at her as I'm sharing, um, her MCU ranking, um, up to age of Ultron. Uh, she's probably going to maybe come over. I don't know. And, and say what she thinks, um, or not, uh, number 10, Incredible Hulk. So bottom of the barrel, Incredible Hulk. Um, number nine, Thor the Dark World. Number eight, Thor. Number seven, Iron Man. Number six, Captain America the Winter Soldier. Number five, Captain America the First Avenger. Number four, The Avengers. Number three, Iron Man 3. Number two, Guardians of the Galaxy and number one, Iron Man 2. Iron Man oh, wow. 2, number one. Uh, so I want to give her a shout out because that is a, a, a ballsy, interesting first pick. Because I mean, I actually, I, I, I don't think Iron Man 2 is a bad movie after rewatching it, you know, every year for the last four years leading up to MCU things. It's gotten better each time for me. So um, I think it's a, it's a cool pick to be number one. Um, I still think personally it is um number three of the iron man movies but um it, it's been so much fun kind of watching them um uh with her but i think sam rockwell is fantastic in that movie i actually like mickey Rourke the cockatoo is great yeah i've won to my bird and then um i i don't know i i these movies each time again i keep talking about them as like junk food and things like that and i think they're more than that too i, re I really do love that universe but um i just uh they're only the only ones I really like dislike are Thor, the dark world and incredible Hulk. And like even the first Thor movie, which I don't love, um, is better than Artemis Fowl. Yes. It's Kenneth Branagh's, you know, one of his better, you know, blockbusters, I guess. But, um, I, the first Thor movie's fine. There's still, I think, you know, a ton of issues with it, but Thor, the dark world and incredible Hulk are just truly like not good at all. Like Dark World, at least you get maybe some Loki stuff that you don't mind. And Chris Hemsworth is still charming. But I I was always the one thing that has switched on my end is that I always put Incredible Hulk above Thor Dark World. But the Incredible Hulk is just real bad. It is really bad. Um, yep. Shot in Toronto. Yeah. Sure is. Lots of Zanzibar. Lots of uh, Big Slice. R.I.P. Um, lots of Young Street in there. Uh, so yeah, you know, rewatching MCU back on uh, my bullshit. And then I also watched the Pixar uh, short film out. Um, Happy Pride Month to everyone as well. Um, so there's a great short on Disney Plus right now called Out. I, I urge you all to check it out. It's only about nine minutes long. Uh, animation style is gorgeous. Um, but it is about a young man, you know, uh, coming out to his parents and trying to find the, the right way of doing that. And um uh, I thought it was uh, really, really touching. I, I liked it quite a bit. So that's streaming on Disney Plus. And then that's what I've been watching, you know. Um, and then all the stuff we reviewed, which we mentioned, that's been taking up most of my time um, over, you know, the last uh, little while. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
All right, moving on to staying at home. Uh, I wanted to give a shout out again. I know we mentioned it a few times over the episode, but on the digital side of things, I'm not going to tell you anything that's on Apple um, this week. Um, I want you guys should all check out the Understanding Black Stories collection on the Cineplex store. Um, So right now there's a collection um, of quite a few uh, movies on the Cineplex store that are all completely free for you to rent in HD Um, and I watched, like we mentioned, I watched do the right thing. Um, I also went on and, uh, rented basically every movie in the collection. So how it works is like, as long as you have a Cineplex account, um, you can go on and add these movies to your cart. Um, and then you can rent the films and they'll stay in your library for up to 30 days. So, um, you might want to only rent maybe a few at a time. Um, that way you can maybe stagger out the 30 days. Um, but I don't know how long Cineplex will be keeping um, this collection up, but um, it's a wonderful... Or how long Cineplex might be around for. Yeah, that's another thing. Actually, I didn't put that news piece in. Remind me to, that we should actually talk about that. So, um, But yeah, so go check out the Cineplex store. I think it's a great initiative that they're doing over there. Um, and you guys should check out some of the films that they have uh, renting for free over there. Yeah, I I was looking at it earlier today, and uh, there's a lot of great stuff. And even on iTunes, there's um, some great rentals as well. And and um, the one movie I keep thinking a lot about recently is, um, especially for uh, for for Pride Month, is um, D. Reese's uh, Pariah, which I think is an excellent little movie um, that I wish more people would would check out. Cool. Um, on the physical side of things, what's up? All right, so I got a list here. Uh, so I'll I'll run through a, a, a few of these uh, quickly. Um, Jaws is avail- Jaws is available on 4K for the first time. Uh, Parasite is now available on physical media on 4K. Uh, we have Watchmen season one uh, or the series, depending on uh, what happens with it. And I think that's also a very timely watch right yeah. now as, as well. Um, and then also, uh, shout factory and scream factory have been very, very nice and sent me a bunch of, of, uh, blu-rays and, and, uh, and a 4k for the first time as well. Uh, yeah, (laughs) those blu-rays just get me choked up. Uh, no, it's, it's actually very dusty in here, but, um, uh, escape from New York. Uh, no, pardon me, uh, Escape from L.A., because they already released uh, Escape from New York. Um, but this is a movie that doesn't get it to do. I think it's kind of basically John Carpenter remaking uh, Escape from New York the way that he that, you know, Sam Raimi remade uh, Evil Dead with Evil Dead 2. Um, but I, it's still a lot of fun. The surfing scene with Peter Fonda is a blast. Kurt Russell playing basketball in one scene is uh, is amazing. Uh, it's a really good time. There's a lot of special features. The only thing that, that that's not on there that it drives me nuts is that there's nothing from John Carpenter himself in terms of new uh, special features. Okay, and you know that 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 Scream Factory reached out to him and said like, "Hey, John, do you want to do like a commentary <laughs> or you know an, an interview?" And he's like, eh, "Nah, I'm just gonna smoke pot and play video games at home." I hope he plays The Last of Us. I haven't seen anything about that, but I'd be curious to get his take on that. He likes playing um uh like, Xbox NBA. Like yeah. he's a basketball guy. Interesting. Um, yeah, and then they also sent me. 
uh, Glen Gary, Glen Ross, which is one of the best uh, plays adapted into a feature I think ever made from David Mamet and James Foley. James Foley has such a bizarre career, a guy who made really interesting kind of intimate thrillers and dramas in the early nineties with Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross and after dark, uh, my sweet. And then somewhere in the two thousands just decided, Hey, I'm going to cash it all in and collect paychecks. So he did the two, uh, 50 shade sequels and oh God, yeah. uh, perfect stranger with Halle Berry and Bruce Willis. But Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross is like this amazing collection of, uh, name actors and character actors, you know, people like uh, Jack Lemon and Al Pacino and Jonathan Price and unfortunately uh, uh, Kevin Spacey. But um, the film itself is incredible. And obviously a lot of people still remember the scene with uh, Alec Baldwin, his cameo, uh, always be closing and talking about, you know, selling. And it's one of those little dramas that is so rich and filled with tension. And for a film that's basically static and set in only a couple of rooms, it's incredible to watch. Um, And then also they were kind enough to send me uh, The Deer Hunter on uh, 4K. Uh, This is their first 4k release so shout factory has released uh the i think the definitive version of uh the deer hunter on physical media the 4k looks the transfer looks amazing um it's still next to apocalypse now and maybe to five bloods um is the best vietnam movie ever made at least when you're looking at like quote-unquote realistic vietnam movie set in kind of because apocalypse now is not a realistic depiction of Vietnam. Sure. Um, And neither is defy bloods in terms of, you know, like telling the story from a completely uh, realistic point of view, because it's very stylized as well. Like this was Mike Cimino directing a film about people that thought, okay, Hey, I'm going to enlist instead of uh, get drafted and I'm just going to serve my tour and then come back and everything will be fine. And, you know, we'll be more American because of it. And we'll, we'll be more patriotic. And these, these guys that go out and become, you know, soldiers come back completely different. And and obviously it's been done a hundred times since then, you know, the, the idea of struggling with PTSD and, 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 sort of trying to put your life back together and the war still haunting you well after it's over. But the performances from Robert De Niro, Christopher Rock- Walken, um, and your favorite, Meryl Streep, who actually is very, no, very yeah. good in the film. I agree uh, In a smaller that, yeah. supporting role. But it's amazing as well because Mike Cimino at this point in his career, like after the Deer Hunter won, you know, every Oscar under the sun, had the power to do whatever he wanted and he made heaven's gate and heaven's gate. A lot of people say is, you know, like a bad movie because it flopped and it basically bankrupted, uh, United artists and MGM, but it's not a bad film. It just kind of got out of control. And like, that kind of shows you, it's like, I'm trying to think like of a filmmaker who made like one film that was like one of the best ever of that time. And then went on to just basically, destroy the rest of their career yeah there's there's nobody else that kind of did that like mike chimino after heaven's gate you know directed year of the dragon with mickey rourke and uh the sicilian with uh christopher lambert and sort of smaller movies like that but he truly 
had this amazing kind of, you know, downward spiral after being at the top of the mountain. Um, so yeah, the deer hunter is, is, is an incredible watch. And then also I haven't had a chance to kind of dig into it yet, but, uh, they sent me the universal horror collection volume five, uh, which I'm really excited to watch. Uh, a lot of movies I haven't seen before. A lot of B movies, uh, captive wild women, jungle captive, jungle women and the monster and the girl are the uh the four movies nice. in that collection right on man cool yeah fantastic uh all right moving to uh trailer talk um we got some trailers this week uh a little i would say uh more we're getting some random shit i will just throw that out there um I don't know where you want to start, but I think we should start with something you mentioned earlier in the show. That's probably one of the greatest trailers I've ever seen money plane. <laughs> so I shared uh, a tweet saying cinema is back baby with the poster of uh, money plane. And um, Oh my God, dude, it's starring um, <laughs> it stars former, I guess, current WWE super star, superstar edge or Adam Copeland is I think his actual name. <laughs> uh, uh, Kelsey Grammer. I think Thomas Jane's in there, right? Um, and Denise Richards, and Denise Richards. Yeah. Of uh, wild things uh, fame, which we just recently uh, talked about on the 69th draft. Um my god i could not stop laughing at this trailer um i'm assuming you watched the trailer right yes and it delivers on both the money and the plane um there's some of these things where i'm like do these does kelsey Grammer like owe someone a lot of money or i mean not saying that he's the best actor in the world and that he can do whatever he wants but like why do you think he booked this this project matt and i'm sure there's it's money playing you're you're probably looking at the script and he's like I'm going to I'm going to make some money off of this plane. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just like I'm, there are a lot of actors we make fun of. I mean Bruce Willis, um uh you know, even Sam Jackson to an extent. Um though who else recently? John Cusack like will show up in these Well, Nick Cage, um, right? Nick, I mean Nick, Nick Cage, Cage is the, like the guy the king of it. that everybody makes fun of, right? Yeah. Because he's he's bankrupt and and needs the money. And will show up in um, these random ass VOD movies and um Yes, Edge's name is Adam Copeland. Um, I just classic. I don't understand. Like when you don't have a big enough budget to make an action movie like this, and maybe like, they're kind of in on the joke. The movie's called Money Plane. Um, but I urge you, if you need um, two and a half minutes or whatever, however long it is, of just something to laugh at, um, Money Plane is your. Two minutes and three seconds of something to laugh at. Will we review this on the show? I'm contemplating it. Like, I don't even know who to reach out to to try and get a screener because I sure as hell don't really want to pay. Like, well, it's know. the same company that released the uh, the masterwork of Kevin uh, James in uh, Becky. Okay. So maybe we'll get a, a a screener link or an invite or something. Yeah, I keep meaning to watch that as well because I I committed to a review for the channel, but. Um, I just felt like it was a weird time to like watch and release that movie or that movie. And with it, I don't know. I just want well, you, you specifically you're referencing because he plays Kevin James Nazi. plays the yeah. Nazi. Yes. Yeah. And I was just, wasn't really into it. I still, we still might do it if I get around to watching it. Spoiler alert. It's not good. Yeah, I, I know. 
And Money Plane does not look good either, but it looks ridiculous. Will we review it? Maybe we will. Um, jumping off of that, I don't know where you want to go next, but um, we can go to maybe seven. We should go with another plane. Yeah, yeah. seventy five hundred. So or seven five zero zero, which is an Amazon Prime original film starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt about an attempted um, hijacking of a plane. He plays a co-pilot, I believe. Uh, I recently, I just watched it, um, uh, or watched the trailer, I should say, right before the show. Had no idea what this even was. Um, this is verging on um, money plane territory. Money plane? <laughs> yeah. Like, it just, like, I thought Amazon Prime, not saying, we talked about The Vast of Night, which is a, a great little um, kind of film that's up there right now, where this just feels like we're kind of tiptoeing in that, Oh, this feels like a VOD movie territory. I don't know how you felt. Yeah, no, I, I I agree with you. Like, it looks like one of these kind of direct to video or direct to TV streaming kind of releases that would have Nicolas Cage in in the lead and not yeah. Joseph Gordon Levin. I mean, basically, it it you could you know rebrand this as as a Left Behind film. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, in a way but yeah it's and it's also just strange because joseph gordon levitt hasn't been in much uh Lately. recently yeah. so so see like the last thing i think we the last movie we saw him in was, was the walk with his yeah. crazy french accent not an accent in this which maybe is a, is a, good, a good thing, thing or maybe yeah. it's a bad thing I, I don't know um but yeah it just kind of looks cheap and like one of those movies that um if it was a year or any other year where you know um we people were going to the movies and and especially during the summer movie season like it would just kind of be one of those streaming releases that would fly under the radar <laughs> um but because of the pandemic i think there's more attention on it and people are kind of like oh well you know this movie has joseph gordon levin they're looking for kind new of like a films, thriller right? yeah, yeah exactly out yeah. next week on the 19th um two movies on this list randomly drop trailers and are coming out next week um you're gonna do a virtual screening with your dad you're gonna watch it with your dad no um i just yeah 7500 doesn't really do anything for me we might watch it and review it because there's not again not a ton of stuff coming out week to week but um i don't know like it's it's weird yeah like you mentioned he hasn't really he kind of disappeared after the walk and he's been focusing on his like hit record joe stuff and then um just seeing him pop up in this thing where I'm like, Oh, okay. Not saying that he's better than it. Like I have no idea, but um, it just didn't. I mean, he probably wanted to do it. I mean, he's the one that ultimately said like, yeah, I'll, I'll be in this movie. I mean, he's going to be in the Aaron Sorkin film coming out uh, yeah. in September as well. So right. maybe he's slowly kind of coming back. And I know he wanted to direct a musical with Channing Tatum. Um, that yeah. I remember of, that, but I don't didn't kind that. of come together. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, and then the other uh, June 19 release that uh, kind of just randomly, you know, dropped a, a poster and a trailer online is uh, You Should Have Left, which is the Blumhouse kind of haunted house film starring uh, Kevin Bacon and Amanda Seyfried. Uh, Kevin Bacon, another one of those guys that shows up in VOD stuff randomly, I think. Um, yes. Not, not a ton, but I also think. Also in our 69 episode. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, um, I watched the trailer for this and I mean, it looks like that kind of low budget Blumhouse single location style, um, 
you know, who's really the, the, uh, the monster in the house kind of, kind of movie. And, um, I don't know. I, I dug the trailer. Um, I think with a lot of Blumhouse stuff, I think he knows it well is like, let's shoot you, you joke about this. It's usually like, which one of my friends has a very nice house I can shoot my movie in. And then, uh, they shoot it for under $5 million or under $10 million or whatever. And, and they make a little, um, uh, Blumhouse horror movie. So, um, I don't know. I, I think it looks slick. I, um, we'll definitely review it. I think I'm, I'm, I liked it, Invisible Woman a lot and, and, uh, um, or Invisible Man, sorry. Invisible Woman is the Elizabeth Banks movie that's supposed to come out next year. Right. Um, yeah. I don't know what you think of this trailer. I, 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 I'm, I'm curious. I'll watch it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think what intrigues me the most with this is that it's directed by David Kep, who is yeah. the screenwriter for Jurassic Park. And they both, uh, Kevin Bacon and David Kep worked together before in a, actually a really solid little horror film in 99, 2000 called Stir of Echoes. Oh, right. Um, yeah. Which is really, really uh, a, a, a solid little chamber piece horror film that kind of watching this trailer reminded me a little bit of. Um, so uh, if you haven't seen Stir of Echoes, I mean, I would, I would recommend giving that a shot, especially maybe around Halloween. Um the one thing that I do kind of find a little bit cringy is that uh, Kevin Bacon and Amanda Seyfried are a couple. It just seems a little that's bit supposed to be maybe part of the plot a little bit, right? Like, right. I think well, if, if, if it works as a part of the plot, yeah. then that's fine. But like, just like on paper, it's like, oh, okay. I saw some people kind of going like, oh, okay, we're doing this again. Like, uh, but I yeah. think if it if that's somehow uh, an integral part of the movie, I can kind of be okay with that i think we hopefully are beyond that point where you know yeah uh love interests or or wives that are half their age is kind of something that we get away from but um and is a little icky but i think it's supposed to be a little icky in this because uh some of the things that they're like alluding to in the in both the trailer and from what the plot seems and uh um and the metaphor that they're trying to kind of make with the whole movie, uh, I'd be curious to see how that all pans out. But um, yeah, is this his directorial debut or has he directed some stuff before? David Kep? Yeah. Yeah, he directed Stir of Echoes. So he did direct. And he also directed. And, oh, yeah, and, he's directed a bunch. Sorry, my bad. Yeah. Yeah, Premium um, Rush, man. Oh, yeah. Premium Rush That's with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah, there you go. It all comes together. I just know him so much as like a prolific screenwriter that I don't think of him as a – I don't think of him as a director. Sorry, I have it pulled up here now, and he's directed a bunch. Yeah, but um, I thought he just – Didn't wrote, he direct Trigger uh, Effect as well with yeah. Kyle McLaughlin? Yep, you're correct. Yeah. yeah. So, okay, cool. No, I, um, I just don't think of him as a director at all. If you go on his page, he's written some of huge movies like with the, uh, the Raimi Spider-Man movie, uh, the Fincher movie, panic room. Um, like, uh, obviously like you mentioned Jurassic park. Um, so yeah, I'm curious. It's, it's interesting that I had no idea that this was even a thing and now it's coming out this week. So, um, you know, it's probably one of those like releases from Blumhouse that they were kind of contemplating whether or not to release it on VOD, even if, you know, the circumstances were different. Like they usually have about 10 to 15 films uh, every year 
where it's like, okay, are we going to release this, you know, on VOD or are we going to give this, you know, a theatrical release? I mean, Upgrade was one of those films where at the 11th hour, it was decided, okay, we'll give this a very small theatrical run in the US and see how it did. And it, it outdid expectations. And then it got a wider release and then even came to Canada because at first it was only the US. But then you'll get stuff like, you know, um, Sweetheart and things that are, are released directly to streaming so um this going to streaming is is not completely surprising but i guess because you do have two name actors in it it's kind of like oh this is this is odd that you know like there's not a lot of fanfare or at least a lot of conversation around it yeah for sure but i'm intrigued so uh, we'll watch it and review it for next weekend uh and then our final two trailers that dropped this week are both comedies uh we'll start it with uh Bill and Ted. Uh, so the third Bill and Ted movie, correct? Not a huge Bill. You and would Ted be guy. correct. I'm not a big Bill and Ted guy, but uh, Bill and Ted face the music. Uh, the first kind of teaser trailer dropped, and I think it looks terrible. <laughs> it looks awful to me. But maybe I I don't know. Like just seeing those guys. Like I know of the Bill and Ted movies. I feel like maybe I watched one in like history class once. Is like one of those days where my teacher was probably hungover and like. Uh, or something like that, but um, I don't know. I've, I've never was a. I'm not super familiar with them. I've never really probably sat down and watched them all the way through. And just seeing these two guys in their, God, their fifties, forties, fifties, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Just, I'm also alarmed at Keanu Reeves without a beard. It's scary. Yeah. Me right now. It's no. The beard suits him, and uh, him without the beard looks weird now. And uh, yeah, I don't know. This trailer did nothing for me, and I just felt like it was cringy. Like two old guys trying to, you know, make the same jokes as when they were teenagers, and I just uh, I, I couldn't get behind it. Yeah, I. I'm not the biggest fan of the the original two um, either, but I mean, I, I like the first one a little bit. That The one that you're referring to is when they go back to uh, capture historical figures and have a, a pre- presentation to pass a class, a history class. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think that there is a cult to it. I like them as... Alex Winter and, and Keanu Reeves as the characters. I think they are generally funny in those roles, but I, one movie was enough, you know, and it could have just been this kind of cute cult classic film that, you know, is best remembered as kind of a, a, an early starring vehicle for Keanu Reeves. And then they made the second one and the second one kind of felt like it, you know, outstayed its welcome quite a bit. And then now like the promise of this movie throughout the years has been like, oh yeah, we're going to do a third one. And it's like, well, who is this really for? Yeah. You know, honestly, you know, like, and I know it's from the director of, of galaxy quest and a lot of people really love that film, but, um, I, I, I like, I, it as, I like as, galaxy as well. Quest quite a bit. I, I no, I do too. I do release too. the R rated cut. That's what I want. Release the, right. The what's his name's cut. Yeah. Uh, RIP Alan Rickman. Um, and that was like the first time I really noticed Sam Rockwell as well in, in, uh, Agreed, in yeah. Galaxy Quest. Um, but yeah, I I, I think it looks kind of cheap and put together. And, and I think it's kind of cool, though, that Keanu was like, yeah, I'll still do this. Like, it's that he's not like, you know, sure. above for it. Yeah. doing that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I, I don't really have like a, a, a nostalgia for the film other than I've seen them. And I think they're okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, 
Like, I don't even think I'll, well, maybe I'll go back and rewatch the first two and then that'll get me set up to actually watch this, but um, we'll see. Uh, and then our final trailer and sticking in the musical comedy uh, realm, uh, Eurovision Song Contest, the story of Fire Saga. Uh, the trailer <laughs> dropped. We got a music video a couple weeks ago. And then uh, this is the Netflix original film starring uh, Will Ferrell and uh, Rachel McAdams um, playing um, uh, Norwegian, uh, I think, or Swedish um, uh, uh, singers uh, that are. You can say Nordic. You can. Nordic is covered that right, yeah. together. Um, yeah, who participate in Eurovision, the uh, kind of big m- music competition. Um, and uh, I don't know, man, like the movie doesn't look great, but like I'm in because I'll just watch Will Ferrell kind of be a goof in anything. So, um, and I'll, with some dumb music, some dumb fake music. And I think Rachel McAdams seems like she's having a lot of fun in this too. And I, um, I, I, I'm down. I don't know. It looks ridiculous, but I'm I'm definitely in. Yeah, I mean, I like the idea of Pierce Brosnan playing Will Ferrell's dad. Yeah, and, uh, I like Dan Stevens. Uh, Dan Stevens. Yeah, yeah. I think my biggest concern with watching the trailer and the music video is that this is going to probably be one note. Uh, yes, I agree. Um, with that, but in a lot of ways, and yeah, like I, I agree with you. Where like I could, like I could find something entertaining in it just watching will ferrell but it's like do we need to have a film that i mean who knows how long it is probably like an two hour, hour and a half it's two hours two, <laughs> what, are you kidding me two hours and three Damn minutes it. two hours See that okay automatic one star decline um yeah like that doesn't need to be that long like why sorry will i i like you but that, that's not necessary we should probably review it though so. yeah we will yeah we definitely will um so i don't know i again i agree with you that it it doesn't look great and it probably will wear thin pretty quickly but i hope that you know there's enough in two hours does seem kind of long um but i don't know i dug the trailer i like you said i like seeing pierce brosnan pop up dan stevens in his ridiculous kind of shtick as well in this uh seems like a blast so um yeah they're icelandic sorry i want to make sure i get that right um, and then the, the music is done by Atli Ovarsson. So, you know, um, who is, uh, from Iceland. So there you go. Authentic. Um, and it's directed by, uh, it's directed by the guy who did wedding crashers, David Dobkin and, uh, the judge, the TIFF opening night film, uh, the judge. Oh, great. Uh, this is his, another movie that was way too long. He hasn't made a movie since then. Yeah, that was two and a half hours. Remember that? Um, yep. <laughs> I remember sitting through that press screening. Oh, man. Good shit. Literally. Literally. Um, yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, Eurovision. I, I, I'll i watch it. I, I think it looks, uh, looks fun. Um, again, but I would watch Will Ferrell in pretty much anything. Um, Guilty pleasure for sure. All right, into the news. Uh, mostly, as you know, during this whole time, it's going to be a lot of, hey, these uh, release dates shifted around. So uh, we'll be talking a lot about that. Um, but the first thing- Delays, I want- delays, delays. Delays. Sometimes they're two weeks. Sometimes they're entire year. Um, sometimes they're phony two-week delays. We'll see. Um, so first thing I wanted to talk about, Eric, which is I think the biggest piece of news for us here in, you know, uh, the great white North, um, 
Cineworld, Cineworld's two point eight billion takeover of Cineplex is scrapped, is off the table. So Cineworld has pulled the plug on their two point eight billion dollar takeover, alleging that there have been certain breaches of contract by Cineplex, which gives them the legal ability to pull out of this deal. Uh, however, Cineplex is also um, saying that Cineworld has breached the contract. Therefore, you know, going, no, it's not us. It's you. You can't pull out of this. You breached it. Um, so now it looks like there's going to be, you know, a legal battle over, um, you know, the sale that um, Cineplex is saying. What I read is I thought was interesting way of wording it of saying that Cineworld has buyer's remorse, which is not a great way to just like talk about your company. I don't know if that's coming from Cineplex directly. Um, so this thing is is fascinating, man. So um, yeah, Cineplex is alleging uh, that the wrongdoings are false and are vowing to see Cineworld in court in a battle over damages. <laughs> um, <laughs> so they're not saying what those specific breaches were. Uh, I've read different reports saying that uh, they failed to operate their business, which they're saying, of course, we failed to operate our business. Like we have, we had to shut down. Um, but they can't even do proper masking. Come on. Yeah, they haven't gotten into the nitty gritty of uh, of what's happening. But Cineplex issued a statement saying that there is no legal basis to terminate the contract or the agreement. Uh, and now that Cineworld has breached the contract. Um, and it said the contract explicitly excludes outbreaks of illness or other acts of God from what would be considered material adverse effects of the deal. Um, so, and then it says Cineplex quote, this is a quote I'm reading from the CBC article on it quote, Cineplex believes that Cineworld's allega- uh, allegations represent buyer's remorse and are an attempt by Cineworld to avoid its obligations under the agreement in light of COVID-19. Uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, the company said. Um, yeah, the Canadian exhibitor added that, quote, it intends to commence legal proceedings promptly against Cineworld and seek damages. <laughs> Whew. Um, that's wild, dude. Like, um, and if, for those of you that don't know, Cineworld is a European con- uh, company that owns uh, Regal Cinemas in the U.S. as well. Uh, this takeover would have made them, you know, one of the biggest, uh, you know, cinema chain conglomerates kind of in the world. Because um, I think a, a Chinese company owns AMC in the U.S. Um, so, yeah, dude, I don't know what this means, but this is not great overall. I mean, it wasn't great that, you know... Uh, European company was going to come in and buy, you know, a, a longstanding Canadian company. But um, this whole thing is seems like it's going to be a nightmare now. And and who knows if someone else tries to step in to buy them or if this is going to, you know, cost them incredibly. I mean, their stock is already in the toilet because of everything that's uh, happening right now. But um they're in the- but even before that, they were they were having problems. I mean, even with their expansion into you know Palladium and things like that, like it it, it just seemed rec like room, yeah, yeah, and rec room, like it just kind of seemed like they were they were having financial problems already. And I mean, AMC in the U.S. is also on the you know, circling bankruptcy. bankruptcy. Yeah, yeah. so it, it's it's interesting because now the you know again with VOD, I I feel with the pandemic VOD in general, Netflix streaming services, 
this might be the nail in the coffin for, you know, the kind of run of the mill multiplex in general. And, And now what's going to happen is we're going to see this potential court battle and, you know, they're going to pool all their resources and funding into, you know, representation to get that money back or a chunk of it at least. And that's going to take up time and cost and, you know, however long this pandemic is and even with limited capacity, if they reopen, that's still not going to make the kind of revenue before. And then even concessions where that's where the theater makes a lot of their money from are people going to buy concessions because they'll be wearing masks so like those are things that you have to consider as well if if cineplex does open next month in some way or form but um to be honest i mean reading that it, it kind of feels like that's the the last straw almost. yeah i mean i think we're getting close to that future that i mentioned where if you see cineplex and amc probably the biggest theater chain in the u.s and the biggest theater chain in canada both crash and burn because of this. Um, I think uh, someone, I don't know who it was, but an actor or director recently talked about, or maybe it was James Gunn or someone that I, um, I was reading about saying like, will theater survive this? And like, I I agree with the sentiment that I think people will always want to see these big tentpole movies in a cinema. They'll always want to see horror movies probably in a cinema and certain comedies in a, in a cinema, but all mid budget and lower budget indie stuff is the stuff that, um, the mid budget stuff is that stuff we've already been seeing go straight to VOD. And I think that will continue. Um, and then the indie stuff, you have a mix of giving people the option of going to an indie theater to go see it or seeing it on VOD. Um, so that being said, like I I've been predicting for a while, I never thought that this would be the case in this way that I still think that multiplexes are going to die. We're going to get you know, some small theater chains, smaller theater chains, like an Alamo draft house, which owns multiple, you know, cinemas around North or the United States or, or, or just, and they only have, you know, five, six theaters at most. I think we're going to go back to that where remember the days of the Oshawa centers, uh, Cineplex Odeon or famous players where there was only eight theaters or something like that. I think all of these theaters that are like 24 screens and shit like that, I think they got to go. And um, I think maybe something rises from the ashes of Cineplex or AMC even, but I think you're going to see a significant downsizing or maybe a restructuring of, of their business of if they are going to survive, I think you go like, we have to embrace this VOD kind of future and we have to let studios play with that because you're not going to win that battle. I just don't think you're going to, um, or you're going to start to see, uh, companies like a Netflix and a, and a Disney and, um, Amazon buy some of these chains. And then you're going to see, you know, there'll be a physical location where, um, you can, if you're an Amazon prime member, you can go see movies for free. Or if you're a Netflix subscriber, you can go see movies for free. Um, um, but they will there. I think we'll always have these physical locations. I just think it's drastically got to change after this. And I think they'll try to come back with a normal, um, you know, everything back to quote unquote normal based on some restrictions and things like that. But then I think you're going to see, they're going to lose even more money because then now they got to staff these things. They're going to, the sales for food are going to go down, like you mentioned, and like their costs are going to go up, but the return is still going to be super low. Cause I feel like, 
I mean, you're who knows people are obviously morons and like they are going out. You're seeing in the United States places be packed, whether it's bars and restaurants and, and different things like that. So maybe people flock back to the movies because tenants coming out and everyone wants to go see it or whatever. But like, I just find that's irresponsible. And, um, I really don't want to go back and sit in a movie theater right now. We had a conversation again, shout out to, uh, Ben Shane, happy 13th birthday, buddy. Um, and uh, you can almost see a 14 a movie. I tweeted, tweeted that, um, no, Ben, I think you turned 18, 19. I think you can drink now. I don't know. Um, but we were having a conversation with Ben uh, about, you know, Tenet and um, Eric and I are might be a little bit more cynical about the whole thing or, or cautious or, or something, but not saying Ben's not cautious, but um, I'm like, I don't really like even a Nolan movie in IMAX, which is a cinematic experience, quote unquote. Um, uh, I don't know if I want to go sit in a crowded movie theater, even with a mask on um, and social distancing um, at Cinesphere or, or wherever, especially not a Cineplex um, to watch a movie. I just, I don't know what movie would get me to go do that. Like again, even a big MCU fan like me is black widow going to be that movie that I want to go risk my health to go see. Not really <laughs> like, like, no, it's going to be unhinged until, yeah, until there's a vaccine, I really won't be comfortable doing any of this shit. Right. And then, um, I get stressed out enough to go to the grocery store or go for a walk with Nevis and, um, without our masks on and things like that. And, um, I just can't fathom, you know, maybe you can take your mask off when you're sitting down in the theater because you're, you know, six plus feet away from other people. But even then, like I worked in a movie theater, I don't trust no offense to the kids that work there, but like, you're not cleaning that properly throughout each screening. Like, even if you give them more cleaning supplies and like have to properly do it, um, there's no way with the amount of cinemas that they have and things like that. Um, and the, and the people that they employ again, hard workers, some of them really care, uh, but they're teenagers. They're not going to like, they're not like a health professional. That's going to make sure that each theater is sanitized and clean before you go in there. Like I don't know what disgusting cinema floors are and how disgusting those seats can get. You'd have no idea who's sitting there and oh, the bathrooms, um, the bathrooms. Exactly. And you can't really control where people are going to, you know, come in unless you go, you have to go directly to your theater. Um, and you, only one person can go out at a time to go. I, I don't know how you even police that. And uh, police is a bad word, probably how you um, control reinforce that. it, yeah, reinforce that. Um, and I don't know, like it's, it's wild to me. And I think this getting back to the topic of this legal battle, like you put it uh, perfectly where it might be the nail in the coffin for like, if they have to have an intense legal battle on top of this to try and get, like their share went way down their shares. They were already going to be purchased for what a 40% bump in this sale. But now with their stock being at like nine or $14, it would have been like an astronomical um, kind of, that's why I think Cineplex is saying buyer's remorse. Cause like their stock really isn't worth, or it might not ever get back up to what uh Cineworld was going to buy it for. So of course Cineplex wants to sell it for $2.8 billion. Um, who knows, man, like what this is going to cost them. Why maybe Cinef world can't afford it now anyway, too. So this whole thing is going to be crazy. And, um, if there is a silver lining, you might, even though small businesses have been struggling right now, you might see passionate people, 
who really care about movies investing into some of these empty spaces that might be left because of these big chains. And uh, I guess that it doesn't really fit the model of what an independent cinema could be because they're usually too gigantic for that. Or maybe you'll see people buying old theaters or old places and retrofitting them. And, and maybe you'll see an uptick in independent theaters now that they're allowed to show I don't want to sound like a prick or anything, but movies that people actually want to see or they don't want to show or they'll be able to show movies that aren't two months old, right? Like if you get rid of the Cineplex and the and the AMCs, then they don't have that. There's that whole article about how Cineplex was blocking independent theaters who want to show you these brand new movies but out of this bullshit first run kind of thing because they're within boundaries of other cinemas. So I'm hoping if you see a multiplex die that you see an independent theater rise. And I know it's been hard over the last three months and some of these indie theaters have really been hit hard as well. And it's even harder for them to kind of stay in business, but you will always have film fans that want to go to a communal place, especially when we feel like it's safe enough to have a shared experience watching a movie on a big screen. So I hope again, like the, the, cliche corny phoenix rising from the ashes kind of thing like we see an uptick in indie theaters and less multiplex big giant conglomerates because like of course i'd rather support like say me and you buy a movie theater when this is all over because i don't know we come up with a plan and that's our passion like my passion for proper fucking masking and proper projection and you're just film knowledge and we go you know what Now, now that these multiplexes are dying maybe we can buy a single theater in a small town much like i love the little cinema that we did that episode of cinema scene on in uxbridge was it or yeah the roxy the roxy yeah. is fantastic and like those theaters that have this co- community feel to them and i hope big cities can kind of get back to that too with cinemas like the paradise and that just reopened and and and, and other places around this city the fox theater um uh, there's many many others that i'm not mentioning but like go out and like support those when cinemas come back and when you feel comfortable about going and and i know that they're passionate about oscar films and independent films and not even oscar i just use that term because it's the easiest way but like independent cinema and and just really great cinema but you need a mix i've always been that guy who you know i still think you need to show popular films even if you don't necessarily think that they're all great it's it is the stuff that's going to sell. And if you can have a, a great mix of the next Marvel movie, as well as some movies that are, you know, quote unquote for cinephiles, then you start to introduce those people that maybe uh, they broaden their horizons because they're going to your cinema to see the next Marvel movie, but they see you're also playing X, Y, Z, and maybe they'll come see that next time. And then it works out for everyone. So I don't know. That was a long Avengers end game and clear Denise high life together in the same building. That's what I mean. Like if me and you ran a movie theater, that's what would be playing there. Right? Like that's the kind of double bill shit that we would put there. And like, um, and I think there's nothing wrong with that. And I hope to see more of that. Like I, if we get back to the roadshow style, like that's what these big blockbusters need to do is do this roadshow style um, kind of traveling. I mean, maybe it comes everywhere at the same time, but I've always said that roadshow style kind of thing is how, um, how these things should be kind of moving uh, uh, forward with. Cause I think that's, you make them spectacles, make them a special experience. Give me a program. Um, give me all that stuff. So um, I think that could be really cool. And I hope we get to that point, but who knows what this in a world thing means. So I don't know. 
Yeah, well, you're also seeing during the the, the summer movie season, obviously, and at the only time that you, this can be done. But drive-ins are are oh right, yeah, sort of having a, a second life, and people are actually going to the drive-in and and practicing social distancing and 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 following the rules to the best of their uh, ability. I mean, I'm sure there are obviously people that do bend the rules or break them, but um, you know, the drive-in was usually. Uh, I mean, at this point, is considered a, a novelty because of the 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 abundance of multiplexes that are available. So, you know, this is like an opportune time, you know, to actually go and see something uh, at a uh, at a drive-in yeah. if you're in a, a rural area. They're kitschy, but I mean, I it's not my ideal way to watch a movie for the first time, but uh, mostly because like the sound isn't super great coming from your car speakers and like. Uh, but if it's something that you don't care yes, about, exactly. right? Like, and that's what I kind of always said. If it's something that you're just like, oh, you know what? It, it This isn't my most anticipated thing, but this could be a fun drive-in watch. I think they're perfect for that kind of stuff or something you've already seen before. I like that a lot of them are doing their double features with one new, quote-unquote, new movie and then one kind of older movie. Like uh, the one in Oakville is playing like E.T. with some Universal – I forget what Universal movie, but – um, showing stuff was, like it, was it trolls world tour yeah, i think so yeah 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 so um things like that i think could be a lot of fun like if i saw that jurassic park was playing with something then i that would be a fun movie to just go to the drive-in and watch so um i like that kind of thing that they're doing and uh, yeah i think you will see a resurgence in i i looked at the website for the oakville um you know mustang drive-in where nevis and i did our engagement photos um and they've had sold out shows like every night like a tuesday and a thursday night having sold out shows for you know these double bills i think is uh is crazy and it shows you that people really do love going to the movies and um so it'll be interesting to kind of see what happens when um when things open back up and we're already i mean i guess that can go into a it's a good segue into our next um news story with um a bunch of different release date shifts but the first one being uh christopher nolan's tenet has been delayed by two weeks so instead of july 17th it's now going to be july 31st correct um and um and they're going to be releasing inception on its 10th anniversary um in cinemas as kind of like i guess like a test run to see if people are comfortable going back to see something so I don't know. This whole thing is kind of laughable, like like Warner Brothers waiting this long and then just doing it by um, by two days, I think is or two weeks is a, is a little silly. Um, and I think we're going to continue to see this movie get pushed two weeks for like the rest of the summer, um, which is kind of eye rolling. But um, it seems like they really want to put it out this summer. I just don't know if that's going to happen. Well, my question is as well with this move, what happens with Mulan? Does Mulan move even though like does it move on? It doesn't like yeah, because like it does it does Mulan move on because of you know being now on the same day as Tenet just out of that reason alone, or does it just move because it's going to inevitably move no matter what you know? And now Disney's just waiting until Tenet makes a decision. I think both of those movies will wait until, you know, uh, mid-July when theaters, you know, I guess it's beginning to mid-July when theaters are going to start opening up in the U.S., it seems. But each each 
you know, state will be different. And here in Canada, it will also be different. Um, but I, I really just don't even see how it's like profitable for them unless like theaters everywhere are open. And even with the social distancing thing, yeah, these multiplexes can, can go, well, it's, we have to have 30% capacity. So we'll just put it in 30% or 60% more theaters to kind of make up the money. Cause there's not that much else playing anyway. So you just have more cinemas with less people in each cinema. But, um, I don't know. It's, um, I just can't fathom going to see any big release movie this summer. Um, even if things are starting to open up right now. Cause like, I feel like, we're going to get hit with a, a huge uptake in cases because they're starting to open things up. Um, and I don't know, man, it's this whole thing's wild. So to continue this, so uh, Godzilla versus Kong uh, got delayed to 2021. Um, the Tom Hanks sci-fi drama bios uh, was uh, delayed to 2021. Uh, the matrix four has been delayed till 2022 and Wonder Woman 1984 uh, got pushed to uh, October um, now. So it was originally going to be August, I believe. Um, and now it's in uh, and October. Now, do you think the Wonder Woman, uh, the Wonder Woman, uh, Wonder Woman 1984 being moved to October was also to consider Tenet? moving again because they would probably move it to the august space that wonder woman yeah. was occupying at that point That's so that'll probably time. be the next yeah. move that tenant moves exactly and then if tenant moves again out of the summer i still think it takes that dune release date and then you move dune to next year but uh, or they'll move or they'll move wonder woman to next year and they'll put tenant in october and see how that goes That's right they'll keep true, moving yeah. it until they can't anymore and they just have to decide okay we're moving this to 2021 yeah um and then disney shifted some stuff around so uh the peter jackson beatles documentary is moved from this september to august of next year um Everybody's talking about Jamie uh, was supposed to come out in October, but now is coming out in January of next year. Um, and then uh, the personal history of David Copperfield uh, is coming out August 14th, supposedly. And then the last piece of news from Disney is the one and only Ivan uh, is moving to Disney plus. So, um, which is uh, features the voices of Angelina Jolie, Sam Rockwell, Danny DeVito, Helen Mirren, Shaka Khan, Brooklyn Prince and more and Brian Cranston. Um, so it's going to be on Disney plus uh, it was going to be theatrically August 14th. And now it's going to be Disney plus August 21st. If Artemis Fowl is any indication uh, I don't have, but this is different, I guess being an animated film. Um, but uh, I guess Disney needs stuff for Disney plus, especially because maybe a lot of their Marvel stuff is probably getting, you know, delayed a bit. I've heard rumors that they might release them in part one and part two. Uh, so half the season in 2020, because they, they had a good chunk of it finished and then the rest next year. Um, I don't know if that's a smart move or not, but um, they need some stuff for Disney plus because it's been struggling to kind of have new content. So uh, I definitely understand why something would uh, move there. Yeah, I, I, and again, I I'm very curious to see what's going to happen with Mulan uh, specifically, um, because I I feel with something like that, quality wise, I mean, 
we'll we'll see how it goes. But I, I think Disney wants that movie to play theatrically. But if they have to keep moving it, they might decide to put that on Disney Plus as well. Yeah, that would be a big move. I could see that happening. Um, but I'm not saying everything that they move to Disney Plus is going to be bad. But Artemis Fowl, which even from the first trailer, I thought was destined for disney plus and i never want to think vod is just the dumping ground because we're we are starting to see some great stuff come out on different streaming services so i'm not saying that disney can't have that i never actually ended up watching um the uh the other some of the other disney plus original stuff like i still haven't watched lady and the tramp and i still haven't watched uh togo uh togo or the uh one by what's his name who directed uh spotlight tom uh uh, no, not Tom. Oh, uh, Timmy failure. Yeah. Timmy failure. Um, yeah. Uh, so I haven't watched any of that yet, so I have no idea like what the quality kind of is like, but then that just goes back to, you know, I think the thing that me and you, um, keep going back to is like, if it doesn't come out in theaters, we're less likely to watch it. Right. Unless it's like from a, yeah. Cause we always put it to a side. It's like, Oh, we'll get to it because it's available to us at any time. Yeah. But then we're just kind of like, well, because it's available to us at any time, we won't actually watch it. Right. We've been better now because it's all we have, right? Like we've been reviewing, you know, yeah. something like, I mean, obviously Defy Bloods is from a big filmmaker that we both want to check out. So there are certain exceptions to that rule, but, uh, or not rule, just the, what happens with me and you, but, um, yeah. Well, when are we going to watch the last American crime, man? God, two hours and 40 minutes of it. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Interesting. Uh, everything's moving around. I'm, I'm curious to see, uh, what that next crop of VOD movies are that um, like, I mean, we're seeing some stuff like I mentioned here, but uh, will other studios kind of jump in? We've seen universal do it a lot with both focus features and their universal titles, like um, King of Staten Island. But um, we have, but we've seen, but we've seen universal and focus as well, move stuff based on, uh, certain filmmakers like I mean obviously uh, Last Night in Soho was a movie that was supposed to come out in September of this year and has been now moved to April of 2021 because Edgar Wright is is adamant, in the same kind of yeah. situation adamant uh, like Christopher Nolan where you know the movie he wants it to play theatrically so if you know if in in other circumstances, I'm sure that would have been a film that would be considered a VOD release, maybe. And the one that is going to be very fascinating to see is, and we've talked about this a little bit before, um, is Promising Young Woman. Yeah, which I, I think is a, I it has, would have maybe put on VOD. And it has an amazing Carrie Mulligan performance, but yeah, it, nothing has happened with that movie yet. There's no date um, even slated as as of yet. Yeah, that is interesting. Uh, next news story. Um, the Oscars have announced that they are returning to a firm 10 best picture nominees for next year. Not, uh, so not firm, not this upcoming Oscars, but the one after that. So this year we'll still have our 2021 yeah. to 22. Yeah. This year we'll still have that fluctuating kind of between five and 10 nominees, but, uh, they've announced some kind of changes to, you know, the whole process and um, the screening uh, website that the Academy members have access to, as well as uh, adding a whole bunch of different uh, programs to um, hopefully diversify both their membership and kind of the different films that they feature and things like that. So um, 
basically the first thing, yeah. So starting next year, um, we're having a firm 10 best picture nominees. So, uh, which I agree with, uh, I, I, and yeah, sorry, I keep saying firm, but like, um, I just think that that's a good call. Like I hated that, you know, one year we might get six, the next year we might get eight, then the next year, 10. And I just felt like that never really made any sense. Um, we've always said either choose five or choose 10 and just stick with that. Um, I'd probably prefer five, but I, I understand the, the, you know, the reasoning to go with 10 films. Um, sorry, Nevis is uh, cooking. So you might, no, it's okay. I just letting people know you, uh, there might be some background noise, but, um, Nevis cooking. She's going to make a, um, like a Udon noodle stir fry. Is that what you're making? Uh, black bean noodle, uh, Udon stir fry. So it sounds really good. She's making that right now. Um, nice. Uh, so shout out to Nevis. Um, yeah, so I, I like the sticking with a, you know, consistent number of films. And I, I, I understand why you go with 10 because you want to feature more more movies and make it a little bit maybe more accessible. You give some space for, you know, the, you know, how we get the one or two blockbuster movies that make it in every year or the bigger films or whatever. Um, so Eric, Eric, your thoughts on this whole thing. You're a big Oscars guy. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm basically in the same kind of uh, sort of thinking as you when it comes to you know picking a lane, and and I rather have five or ten and not have this inconsistent voting every year that you know is is based on you know what your 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 number one is and your number two and your number three. Ten is going to be interesting because. With ten, like usually the 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 tenth spot, that film usually only has maybe two or three nominations at most. So it's almost kind of like it squeaks in at at the bottom, and like it's interesting to see people online sort of, you know, making these uh, assumptions of like what would have been number ten in the last few years, and like some people are picking films that weren't even nominated for anything else, which I find kind of strange. Where like last year, I think the film that probably would have been number 10 is knives out. Yeah. So, um, you know, like, and again, like you have to look at like how many nominations, um, uh, uh, you know, those movies got that didn't get a best picture nomination, but might've shown up in, in you know, other, screenplay yeah. or, or an acting category and, and what have you. So, yeah, I, I think that going for, for 10 starting in the 2021, 2022 season is, is, um, is a welcomed return. Um, I, I think it for this year um, having anywhere between five and 10, if there even is an Oscars this year um, is probably the right way to go just because of what the selection may or may not be. I mean, by the time we get to December, maybe there will have been enough in terms of streaming available to people. Um, But now it feels like um, you'll have a lot of members kind of being forced to actually you know, jump out of their comfort zones a little bit and watch things that maybe they wouldn't have watched otherwise to give that consideration. Yeah. I mean, we're going to see Academy Award nominee Bill Burr this year, probably, which is fantastic. (laughs) I don't know if we would have Academy Award winning film, Bad Boys for Life. Yeah, It could happen. You have, you never know, dude. But yeah. And then the other thing that they announced is that they will have a uh, quarterly screening process on the Academy screening website. I don't know exactly what that means. Like if you have to basically prove that you're watching these films every quarter or something like that. I don't know exactly 
uh, or maybe they'll add films each quarter. I think that's maybe what it means is that like every quarter they will add a batch of movies that came out that quarter for Academy members to watch. That way they don't have to wait until, you know, November or December to get all those, you know, DVD screeners and stuff in the mail that we're so used to, uh, which I think is a good call. Yeah, I, I agree with that because again, like, you know, you look at how movies are, are voted for and we, we've talked about this before that the rarity is having a film that gets nominated that's released in the first half of the year, or the first, you know, five or six months where everything that gets nominated is released from, you know, October to December and usually, um, you know, squeak by in the last two weeks of December because they're going in for, for contention. So with this, like you might actually see more people, more members, not just of the Academy, if, if other uh, memberships and guilds kind of adopt this, this thinking, this idea of watching movies consistently throughout the year, because even as critics, I think a lot of critics don't get the t- the chance to watch a lot of stuff unless they're living in a major city and can attend pet press screenings uh, in the, in the morning or evening uh, watch a lot of stuff on a consistent basis and wait until the end of the year and get the award screeners. So now you're going to have people that will be constantly up to date. So this might actually open the, the door a little bit more for films that again, might not be, considered uh as award films or are considered worthy of nominations but are forgotten through the most part because again we always talk about like oh silence of the lambs was released in february or grand budapest hotel was released in the first few months of of that respected year in 2014 and that's more of a rarity than you know oh the, the five of the 10 nominees for best picture were released in in November or December. Yeah. I hope that's the case. And hopefully like if they give people access to this stuff, which is a long time coming, like I remember just rolling my eyes that were, you were, you were still getting DVD screeners for a lot of this shit, which is like 480p max. And I'm like, I just can't like, it's been interesting to get a little inside baseball over the last, um, you know, three months of that, you know, all the PR stuff has been had to pivot and, and we've had to give in, be given access to, you know, screeners for films that probably would have been given a press screening or something like that. So it's been interesting to see, you know, which companies have a good system and, and, and how these screeners work. And I think they need some, there needs to be some work done on where watermarks appear on a lot of um, (laughs) um, movies and different things like that. Like I understand all the, you know, privacy kind of, or not privacy. uh, uh, um, What's that? piracy that's what i'm saying nevis corrected me yeah not privacy piracy um stuff that they gotta work through and make sure that people aren't you know ripping these and putting them up online so you can find out who they are but um it's just been fascinating watching different screeners and and seeing who does it really well and who who does not do it so well and you're like why would you put that watermark there that's so distracting but i understand why you don't just put is it. your name going to be yeah. in the center oh, God, of the screen the worst it's so hard to like not pay attention to my name across the middle and like i just feel like there are ways and i get they don't want people to just crop it out but like watching to five bloods like netflix get i'll give them a shout out where shout outs are due like they have a really great watermark system it's very subtle and it was awesome like it, i barely noticed it and and their screeners are actually in 4k and dolby vision if they're available and stuff like that so um i hope this oscars website you know like you mentioned um 
helps members keep up with the amount of films that they're that they should be watching if they're voting on this stuff so um because i feel like a lot of times they just you know hear what the what the front runners are and those are the movies that they probably watch right and then don't actually you know expand their horizons to maybe some stuff that they wouldn't have normally watched so uh it'll be interesting uh i mean sticking uh with kind of in the oscar territory um (laughs) academy award winner peter uh ferrelli uh is reteaming with uh with vico mortensen um for greatest beer run ever and if we're sticking with the vietnam war movies that we've been talking about uh over the last little while um and if you want to you know the opposite side of a Spike Lee uh, Vietnam War movie, you get a Peter Farrelly uh, Vietnam War movie where it's about a bunch of a bunch of guys, a bunch of childhood buddies who end up going. Uh, uh, what is it? I don't know. <laughs> True story of John Chicky Donahue who traveled from New York to Vietnam in 1967 just to share a few brewskis with his childhood buddies who were fighting in the army overseas. Uh, so anyways, you get that. I love Vigo Mortensen and I, I, don't get me wrong. I mean, looking back on the whole green book thing, um, I, I did, uh, embarrassingly, uh, enjoy green book, but now actually, you know, thinking about it and, and, and maybe reevaluating, um, uh, that movie, I feel like maybe there's more important films that deal with similar subject matter that maybe people should watch and, and the whole thing of it winning best picture. I mean, even at the time for a movie that I thought was, you know, uh, decent and uh, pretty solid. Like I just, I kind of rolled my eyes when it won best picture, but, um, it's interesting Vigo, a guy who's pretty selective of who he works with, like, uh, uh, working with, uh, Peter Farrelly again. I just keep thinking of that image of Spike Lee sitting in that chair when Peter Farley (laughs) is uh, talking about Green Book and how, you know, it's it's really a reflection of racism at the time. And like we're trying to deconstruct what was going on in the 1950s. Um, It's just Spike Lee being like (laughs) holding his tongue. Um, Yeah, I... I don't know. I mean, I I agree with your sentiments in in that I liked Green Book as well. I still like the performances, and I think that was the thing that I I was most drawn to. Even though it, you know, even that relationship was fabricated mostly for the narrative itself and the structure of it. But um, yeah, like it will be in the next probably ten to twenty years from now considered our generation's driving Miss Daisy, and you know, like we'll look back at you know, black Klansman for that year and be like, why didn't we give that movie more nominations or wins than, uh, green book? Yeah, you know? totally. So, I don't know. Spike Lee always getting fucked. Yeah. Um, sticking into, uh, we'll go into some video game territory right now. Um, because again, like I mentioned, please go check it. I would really appreciate it if you checked out my last of us part two review. Um, uh, really, really thrilled with that. But a uh, couple pieces of um, news in the video game space. I guess let's start with the Last of Us um, HBO series news. So um, the pilot episode of the HBO um, Last of Us series 
um, has a director now. So we already knew that um, uh, Craig Mazin uh, was working with Neil Druckmann, who is the director of the Last of Us video games, as well as the writer of those games. Um, he is working on the series with Craig Mazin, who was the creator and writer of uh, Chernobyl. Um, and then Gustavo uh, Santiolala is coming back to do the score for Last of Us. Um, so we know the kind of, you know, we're starting to piece together the crew of people who will be working on this show. Um, so sticking in the Chernobyl area, they've announced that uh, Johan uh, Renkt, I think is his name. Um, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, but he will be directing the pilot episode of The Last of Us. And he is the director of all uh, the episodes of Chernobyl. So right now he's only uh, committing to, you know, directing the pilot and it'll be curious to see what they do. Um, because unlike Chernobyl, I think the last of us will be a, um, it'll be a, a expanded series and not just a mini series. Um, especially cause they have, you know, uh, 16 hours of the first game and 26 hours of the second game and a lot of different kind of stuff that they can cover. So I think that'll be spread out over multiple seasons. Um, so for me, I think that's probably why he's only directing the pilot at this time and not every episode, because I feel like this will be more in the vein of, you know, a game of Thrones or, you know, a breaking bad and, and stuff like that, where you'll have multiple directors come in and, and direct episodes because it'll be a series that hopefully goes on for multiple seasons. So, um, but it is interesting that they're bringing in a lot of that Chernobyl crew for this. And I'm wondering if they'll bring in even more people who worked on that series. And I'll be uh, curious. I mentioned in my review, like if someone like Neil Druckmann maybe steps behind the camera and directs an episode of the TV series, cause he did direct the games. Um, I think that could be really cool and it'll be interesting to see what other directors jump in and those people who kind of jump back and forth between film and television and stuff like that, um, who will come in and, and work on this series. So, uh, much like, uh, um, uh, star Wars, Dave Filoni, like Dave Filoni directing some of the Mandalorian, I think is kind of like, could be the, um, uh, an example of why you might have Neil, Neil Druckmann come in and maybe direct a few episodes here and there of the, of the show after Johan kind of sets up that pilot episode. So Eric, you have watched Chernobyl, right? So you're maybe more familiar. I have, yeah. You're more familiar with uh, Johan than probably I am. And I think because I, my love for the last of us runs so deep that I probably should go back and, and watch Chernobyl because Mazin and, and, and Johan are working on this series. So, um, does this excite you at all? I know like every, you've heard me talk about last of us. And then, um, um, I know you're excited for the show just based on what I've told you, but I like the team that they're putting together here. Yeah. And I'm a genre guy as well. So I'm, I'm excited on that level. And like, I remember, with like i'm not trying to compare the two and i apologize if if this sounds just like i'm simplifying it um like being exciting for being excited for the walking dead as as like a major genre show i mean obviously it turned out to be a a a a bit of a a turd Uh, um but i like the idea of like a weekly sort of show that takes place in a post-apocalyptic world that you follow a group of characters and sort of how time changes them and the developments of who they are because that's always the most interesting stuff when it comes to you know post-apocalyptic dystopian sort of storylines um chernobyl is really really well directed i'm always kind of a fan of consistency when it comes to miniseries or series in general where you do have the one but look at watchmen 
right? right. Like they had a, a room, a, a, a writer's room and a director's um, grouping of people that rotated throughout the season. And even though it was different filmmakers and different perspectives, you know, bringing their style to each episode, there was still a consistency overall because it was developed from the ground up and everybody was on board. So hopefully there will be a similar sort of uh, grouping of these directors and writers kind of all working together and becoming uh, symbiotic in, in a way that kind of makes the film flow in a, in a very sort of organic but also singular vision yeah i thought mandalorian did that pretty well too by bringing in some people who were you know some people pretty big names some people new to um directing and like um and making it feel like it all worked together and i thought like even though taika waititi came in and directed the finale and put his stamp on it it still felt like it it fit that show. And, and I, while that obviously Mandalorian is not perfect, but you brought up Watchmen as a great example as well. And I would, I would say breaking bad. Like you've had people like Ryan Johnson who jumps in and directs some of that. And, um, and you'll have like great directors and, and usually it's that pilot director who sets up, you know, the visual style of the entire show, unless it kind of evolves as it goes on. Um, so I'm sure it will kind of, um, have a similar look to Chernobyl maybe, but, um, and it kind of is fitting and, um, having Gustavo, um, come back and do the score too is, is excellent. I mean, he's worked on numerous feature films like Brokeback Mountain and, and, uh, and, uh, Oh, he won the Oscar uh, for that. Yeah, he did. Yeah. So, I mean, he is a, a phenomenal, uh, composer, um, and, and musician. So, um, it, it, it should feel very authentic to the game and, and, I like everyone that they have involved. And next up is just seeing, you know, who they're going to start casting. Cause you got to think like now that this game is done and Neil Druckmann has some time and I'm sure Craig Mazin and him are already working on some of the scripts because you can do that during this time. Um, but when do they start shooting this show? I mean, they're starting to put together the pieces that they need. I think the next up is casting. Right. And, um, uh, they probably already have names in mind as well. Like, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if a couple actors from Chernobyl maybe move into uh, The Last of Us. Like, even in, again, I don't know the characters as well as you do, but like, I know that Craig Mazin really liked working with Stellan Skarsgård, for example. Yeah, so if I mean, there's a role for him somewhere. I could see... Um... There could be something for, uh, and I'm sure there'll be characters and stuff I don't even know about, right? Because you got to fill up this show. It can't just be Joel and Ellie, and there are different factions and people that they come into contact with. And I, I really do think that they'll stay pretty true to the to the game because it's it's obviously worked out pretty well. Um, but I could see Stellan Skarsgård playing, you know, showing up. He might not be like a lead or anything, but I could see him um, popping up. And you'll you might see other people from Chernobyl um, kind of get in there. Jared um, Harris or someone. Yeah, like that I think pops up. I think you probably will. Um, for me, it's like I really I think next week's episode, which we'll try to time with the actual release of of The Last of Us Part Two. I might do a the Cast of Us segment. Um, I'll probably put out a Twitter thread of of people that I want to see pop up in the, uh, in the HBO show. And there's already been people, you know, not even necessarily rumored, but fans. Uh, I keep seeing Caitlin Deaver being the, the number one choice for Ellie uh, from a lot of different people. And I think like I, it was, I remember people talking about Ellen page back in 2013. And while uh, I think Ellen page could 
could work for the older Ellie. Like, I just don't think that, uh, I think she might be a little bit too old now. And, um, I know there was, and then Maisie Williams yeah, is another name, which I don't, up. I'm not super thrilled with being a huge fan of the game. Like I, I like Maisie Williams enough, but, um, I just don't see her as Ellie. I just, it, that doesn't work for me. But, um, if my, my number one choice for Ellie right now would be Caitlin Deaver and, um, uh, the Joel that I always had in my head was Josh Brolin. Um, I've kind of jumped around um, to, you know, uh, there's numerous different, you know, older act, uh, like they got to be in their, you know, 40s, 50s probably to play Joel um, and someone who can play him a bit younger and older. Um, uh, but I'm trying to think of who I would want, but um, I always kind of went back to Josh Brolin being a, a probably a pretty good Joel. Um but there's numerous people, but we'll talk about that next week. Cause I have a lot of ideas that I have. I kind of want to wait until the game is out because, uh, there, I want to talk about the part two as well. Cause I, I have some ideas of who could play. And there's an actor that's in part two that, um, that is a, uh, and he's pretty prominent on HBO as well. So I, I could definitely see him, you know, coming back for the series. I think there's a couple actors, Larry David. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Larry David is Joel. Um, so anyways, that's, uh, the last of us HBO series news. Um, the other piece of news is that, well, I hope also, I was going to say, I hope also that, uh, um, Trey Edward Schultz gets to maybe direct an episode. That would be great. See, he would be the perfect guy that I think is a huge fan of the game. Cause you mentioned that even, I think when you, you interviewed him, right. Or no, or you just, yeah, I've interviewed him before. Yeah. And, and, and also he's talked about while he was writing, uh, it comes at night, kind of that being a major influence and on you the can script. Definitely see that because even Joel Edgerton's character who probably could be a pretty good Joel. Um, Joel Edgerton is Joel. Um, he's even dressed like Joel from the last of us in that movie. And he looks like Joel from the last of us in that movie. So yeah, Trey Edward Schultz, I could see coming in and maybe directing like he'd be a guy that I could see in and directing the finale of season one or something like that. Like those are the type of guys that I hope HBO kind of, reaches out to and puts together a, a really awesome crew of people for this. Um, and yeah, I, I absolutely cannot wait. Cause I think it has the potential to be like a huge hit. Like when I can get to the point where my mom is probably texting me being like, I watched the newest episode of the last of us on HBO. I will just be amazed. Like I'll just, cause my mom would watch that and like, but she'll never ever play the game. And I could probably describe to her what happened, but like she wouldn't get it. And then, but she would watch an HBO series for it. And if it, if it kind of surpasses that and is the first, it has the true potential to be one of the first great video game adaptations. And I really hope that um, it works out and it, they seem like they're doing all the right things. So we'll see. Um, the other piece of video game news I quickly wanted to touch on was um, there was the PlayStation 5 reveal. Um, so PlayStation did a big, uh, you know, it was a, obviously a, a video that you could stream online, but they did a big announcement of all the new games that are coming to the PS5. And then they also revealed, you know, what the console looks like and um, some of the features on it. So why I wanted to mention it is because one of the big things for me is that there's two... Uh, two versions of the console one with a 4k blu-ray player and one that's digital only so for me the 4k blu-ray player was huge because 
even the PS4 Pro, which can stream 4K, never had a 4K Blu-ray player. So if I watched 4K Blu-rays at home, I was always using my Xbox One X, but I'm not an Xbox guy at all. I have one because I had to I reviewed it at my at my old job. Um, but my Xbox is basically just my 4K Blu-ray player. I don't really play much on it. Um, I would love to only have a PlayStation that also works as my 4K Blu-ray player. So um, they did announce that 4K Blu-ray is coming to PlayStation 5, which is fantastic. There also is a digital-only version that you can buy that does not have a disk drive at all. Um, and then some of the games that are coming looked really, really cool. So there's a Spider-Man Miles Morales game that's coming, which is awesome. Um, which is a spinoff from the Spider-Man PS4 game that came out uh, recently, um, as well as uh, a Horizon Zero Dawn sequel and and much, much more. Hitman 3 looks really good. Agent 47 back, that Hitman movie, terrible. Don't ever watch it with Timothy Olyphant. <laughs> um, oh, there's two, though. Remember that. Oh, they made a sequel. Who took over it in the sequel? Uh, that would be uh, Rupert Friend. Oh, God, yeah. I don't know if I even watched that. I might have. Um, Oh, we did. No, we saw that together. Oh, yeah, we did. Okay. Yeah, we did. Um, this is, I blanked it. Remember Zachary Quinto was the villain? Oh, in? yeah. Good Lord. Those games are great. So I'm excited for that. I'm excited for the PS5. So hopefully maybe I'll be able to talk about it on this channel and talk about all the different media stuff you can do with it. Uh, quickly, next. PlayStation Studios. I guess right? we should talk about this, Caitlin. Uh, yeah, PlayStation Studios, man. And I mean, both there's a PlayStation Studios cinematically in a playstation studios from the games um caitlin deaver in talks to play the female lead in a dear evan hansen film uh with uh what's his butt looks like he's coming back to actually play the lead role which he did on ben Platt. yeah um i don't know much about dear evan hansen I, I i'm pretty sure my sister would be able to maybe jump in and talk more about it but i think people really like it it's a you know, huge on Broadway. Um, I, again, I love Caitlin Deaver. I thought she was great in book smart and, and, uh, everything that I've pretty much seen her in. So, uh, I'm definitely short term 12. She was excellent as well. Um, I I just hope that this musical is as good or as, or better than cats. (laughs) Uh, Greyhound finally has a release date on Apple TV plus, um, so July 10th, we will be getting, um, Greyhound on Apple TV plus, and we will have a review for it on this channel. Your dad's new favorite film. I don't doubt it for a second. Um, let's stick to the Mandalorian. Cause I was just, uh, talking about that. So, uh, Sam Hargrave, who is the director of extraction on Netflix, which we reviewed, you can check out our review, um, was brought on for a second unit director for Mandalorian season two. So, um, they wanted him to kind of, you know, punch up the action, um, in season two. So, um, he was a second unit director and he's worked. If you guys don't, aren't familiar with him, um, and haven't watched extraction yet, he was the stunt double for Chris Evans on the captain America series before he moved on to like the stunt, um, stunt lead or stunt coordinator for a lot of the Marvel stuff with the uh, Russo brothers and, and things like that moving forward. So I think it's a good call bringing him in as a second unit director. Cause like, um, I really liked the first season of Mandalorian, but I, I'd agree that they probably could have used someone who has who's really familiar um, with just shooting action very well. And um, so I, I'm I'm down for this. Yeah, I'm I'm curious to see if it'll be noticeable in terms of the the action 
choreography and, and the fight sequences. Uh, Cause we had a little bit of that in, in, in the first season with, with Gina Carano specifically. And she, she was actually quite good, good in those I, scenes. I, I just think the, the action should be great. The framing was, was, was as well done. Um, but yeah, I, I think it'll it'll be fine. I mean, I wasn't a big fan, fan of Extraction, and the only thing I really remember of it now is that you know the character's name was Tyler Rake. <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah. Um, Great name. And then finally, our last piece of news, or actually two last pieces of news, kind of in the horror territory. Um, Evil Dead Four sets a director, a title, and um, it won't have Ash in it. So Sam Raimi supposedly. Uh, helped pick out this new director who is Lee Cronin. Is that, is that, yeah, he directed uh, the A24 streamer release, uh, Hole in the Ground, which I haven't seen. I should give that a, a swirl. Yeah. So, um, Sam Raimi will be producing it. Uh, Lee Cronin is going to direct it. Um, it is, I guess, technically a sequel, but uh, probably doesn't involve ash because of all the stuff they did with ash versus the evil dead the show um do you have any interest in this i know you're a big evil dead guy yeah i mean i don't know without without bruce campbell um i'm not sure i mean i didn't mind the fade alvarez uh remake i thought it was okay for 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 what it was it was fun um but it doesn't hold a candle to the army of darkness evil dead trilogy the the and even the show i really liked the first season of that show i kind of fell off after a while but um yeah without without sam raimi and bruce campbell specifically i don't know what they're going to do with it i'm i'm honestly kind of like at a at a loss for words just because without those two guys really being creatively involved it's like well what what is this going to be i mean it's not really going to be an evil dead movie yeah i'm curious to see what the hell it's going to be too um i'm not i'm not the evil dead guy like i um i like evil dead one and two enough i don't like army of darkness really and then um uh i don't mind the alvarez remake but um I'm indifferent mostly. And then final piece of news. Uh, looks like the Wolfman is going to be made with Ryan Gosling question mark. Eric, you knew more about this than I did. Yeah. So uh, this is an article that was first uh, published on deadline. And apparently there is, well, I mean, also we talked about this before, I think on the show with the success of uh, the invisible man, uh, universal and Blumhouse specifically have been trying to look at other uh, universal monsters and see if they can find a new perspective or angle of telling those stories that are fresh and bring uh, those creatures into the 21st century and avoid becoming another uh, mummy movie. Um, so Karen Kusama is working on uh, a new version of Dracula, which she actually talked about uh, recently saying that she's going to take the romanticism out of it, which I think is kind of interesting. And uh, now deadline is reporting that universal has been in talks with Ryan Gosling to do a new take on the Wolfman that would be kind of Nightcrawler-esque, the uh, Dan Gilroy, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal star. Um, and so this is kind of, a, that's a kind of intriguing idea because obviously they tried to reboot the Wolfman with Benicio Del Toro, which was not very good. Um, 
so we'll see how that goes, but it will be interesting to see like, will it connect or will they kind of try to do a world building thing again, like they did with the uh, dark universe, rest in peace. Um, or are they going to try and just do kind of self-contained single stories that are made for five to 10 million. And in this article for the Wolfman specifically, it did not mention that Blumhouse was a part of this production. Yeah. Um, I don't think we're going to see a connected dark universe, but I don't, I don't know who knows, man. Um, but I like Gosling, and I'm I'm, I'm curious to see uh, how that turns out. All right, man. Uh, another beefy episode. Um, we've been off for a little while, so um, that always usually happens when we have a lot to talk about. Um, so thank you, Eric, for joining me, um, and thank you all for listening. Um, if you guys like this, uh, like I mentioned at the uh, beginning of the episode, we have another podcast called Untitled Movie Reviews, and I would be honored if you guys would check that out. Right now we have a uh, good amount of content over on that channel where we have reviews for The Last of Us Part 2, like I keep mentioning. Yes, a video game. Um, The King of Staten Island, uh, The Five Bloods, and Artemis Fowl, which are big four new reviews that you guys can check out right at this moment. Um, Thank you all for listening. Um, As always, my name is Matt Rohrbeck. You can find more of my work around the internet, but mostly at UntitledMoviePodcast.com. And you can follow me on all of the social medias at Matt Rohrbeck. Uh, You can also follow the Untitled Movie Podcast on all social medias at Untitled underscore cast. Eric does a great job of posting whenever we have new reviews and things like that. Um, out there and if you have a couple seconds uh, we would really appreciate if you just popped over to your um, podcast service of choice and if they have a way to uh, rate us um, that would be fantastic if you could just hit that five stars um, it really helps us kind of you know climb the charts a little bit and get our uh, little podcast in front of more ears Uh, so we'd really appreciate it if you guys have two seconds Uh, over to you Eric yeah, and I'm Eric March, and you can find more of my reviews at rogerstv.com slash cinemascene, and I'm on the social medias uh, at EM6211, mostly bumming around on Twitter and Instagram. And yeah, we just try to keep you guys as up-to-date as possible uh, with uh, new posts and, you know, um, try to be as frequent as possible. But at the same time, you know, we want to uh, step back a little bit and let other voices be heard and make sure that we uh, support those that uh, need support now and, and just be there to be a good ally and be someone that is actually, you know, anti-racist instead of just not doing anything. I totally agree with that. Please check the description for some of the stuff that I mentioned earlier today. And I uh, urge you all um to uh, do what Eric just mentioned. So thank you all again. And until next time, black lives matter.